WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 278. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 250 in the Doubletree Suites Hotel in Charlotte, the Queen City, North Carolina. In today's episode, aviation news since our last episode, your feedback, and a new Plain Tales episode, turning oceans into ponds. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat packs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 278 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guys show. It's an aviation podcast, and I'm Captain Jeff, a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. And joining me today live in our Charlotte studios is... Doctor, doctor, psychiatrist, doctor, 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 a marathon runner, doctor, a sky diver, and an honorary Miss World 2017. And Dr. thank you Steph. again to whoever bestowed that title because <laughs> I'm not really sure where I where I won that, but it's the title I'm the most proud of, actually. Of all I think you should be, and it's so appropriate. Yes. yes. Um, so, it's nice to see you again mm-hmm. nice in person. Nice to see you as well, and looking forward to a great show. I am too. Trust me, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also joining us from across the pond, across the pond, not across the pond, we have a professional photographer, a former fighter pilot, commercial airline captain extraordinaire for Acme Red, flying those wide bodies, Captain Nick Anderson. Hi, Jeff. Hi, hostess. Hi, host. Hello. It's, uh, <laughs> it's great to be on the show again. Wow, this is almost a record. We've only <laughs> been at it for an hour and 20 minutes. Well done, <laughs> Jeff. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. And also joining us, last but certainly not least, we have... Former regional pilot, now Mad Dog operator for Acme Air Mainline, Captain Dana Colton. Hey, be back, HPG crew. I'm fortunate to be live with Captain Jeff and Dr. Steph and uh, wonderful Charlotte. Of course, it was an adventure getting here to Charlotte today, so maybe we'll talk about that a little later. But we're, uh, we're looking forward to a great show again today. We're so glad you're here, and uh, all the all the bad stuff that happened earlier today, it's all gone. It's all nothing but um, flowers and buttercups, buttercups, <laughs> and, and bourbon. Way, that's my, and bourbon. Ooh, mm. buttercups and bourbon. There's our that's show a title. Wonderful show title. <laughs> so write that down. So, if this is the first time you're listening to the show, uh, again, we apologize. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little crazy. I think we're kind of a little giddy because uh, we normally don't get to be together like a uh, very few times do we get together, uh, all of us in person. Um, well, three out of the four, three quarters of us, 
Um, and uh, so it's a lot of fun. Passing grade. Yes, seventy-five oh, percent is uh, is what I always it's a shoot solid for. Solid C, <laughs> <laughs> average. Uh, anyway, um, so it's great to be here in Charlotte, and um, so glad that we were able to coordinate our schedules so that uh, Dana could be here as well. I think he uh, ha- originally had another trip, and then he swapped his trip for this one so he could be here in Charlotte with us today. And uh, so I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, yeah, it's so, almost. Yeah. So, so you're you're kind of uh, hinting at uh, some some bumps, some speed bumps in the uh, in, in the highway today, Dana. Yeah, yeah. If uh, if anything could have gone wrong, it went wrong, with the exception of uh, anything going wrong with the uh, flying of the airplane or the operation of the airplane. But uh, this morning we had uh, very tight turns in Atlanta. Less than 45 minutes, and they decided to give us an aircraft swap going from Terminal B all the way over to Tango Concourse, nice, which is a good distance. So we ended up with a, a perfectly good airplane to a perfectly broke airplane, of course. You know how that goes. And we were a little bit late heading out of Atlanta. Get to, uh, get to uh, where did we go? Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach today. That was okay. And then uh, back from Bernal Beach, maintenance comes back into the uh, cockpit and says, about 20 minutes before departure time, we're going to have to jack the airplane up and replace your brakes. Oh, that's nice to know. Look good to me. Yeah, well, apparently they weren't good to them. So they uh, replaced that. And then, of course, the flight over here to Charlotte, we're 35, 40 minutes late. And then next thing you know, we have a 25-mile final approach and slowed us way down oh I have to step back one when we uh when we fly out of atlanta not normal it's not normal uh, especially on east operations if you're heading east uh for them to restrict you to 250 knots very unusual unless it's on the departure procedure so we're climbing out about seven thousand feet and air traffic control says yeah maintain acme maintain 250 knots like really mm-hmm. okay so now we're late we're already behind schedule, and lo and behold, now we're being told to stay at 250 knots, climbing up through 15,000, 20,000 feet, when you can normally accelerate to 320, 325 in the climb. But did you have a wheels up time or anything like that? You know, amazingly, that was the one thing that happened nicely. Yeah. We taxied out, and they gave us a 10-minute delay, which in, into Charlotte is nothing. Yeah. So coming into Charlotte, they slowed us down way out. Mm-hmm. And we proceed to go down for a nice 30 mile downwind leg, square the turn off. And oh, by the way, we're at 170 knots. Yep. Turn the final at about 22 miles at 170 knots. I looked over to the guy I'm flying with and I said, Well, you know, I could actually take a nap, uh-huh. wake up, have a cup of coffee, stretch, get the, the stuff out of my eyes, and still be ready to land. You, you had know, a nice so, tour of Lake Norman, I'm sure. That, yeah, yes, yeah. it was a beautiful tour of Lake Norman, beautiful up there. And, you know, flying in, um, when we met on Tuesday, you showed me the video of your uh, little uh-huh. little airport that looks like, actually looks like a triangle. Uh-huh. Yeah, we saw that and saw your lake. Uh, oh, coming so you in. came all the way that direction to go all the way the other direction. Yes, yeah, pretty much. Come, We're all yeah. over the place. Yeah, they, yeah. they delayed us as long as they all could. Right. And to add the icing and cake, of course, when you get off the airplane, we had to wait for the flight attendants, which... We usually don't overnight with the flight attendants. They usually don't come to the hotel with us. Well, we had to wait for everybody to get off the off the airplane. Then the flight attendants get off, and do they come right with us to go catch the van? Of course they don't. 
What do they do? They go over to Cinnabon. That quite literally was. Well, it's deep. right there. What's that? It's right there when you get off the plane. It Cinnabon, is right next sort to of. the Wendy's, right? But we want to mm-hmm. go to the hotel. Yeah, Vance you're going so the can, wrong direction. Yeah, it's the opposite the direction from where we where we exactly. were. Exactly. And that quite literally was the icing on the bun. <laughs> yeah, so I get it. Icing. No, Cinnabon. no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. no pun intended. <laughs> then I called the hotel for the, the hotel shuttle to come pick us up. They said fifteen to twenty minutes. I said. Uh, that's too long. And 32 minutes later, the hotel van finally showed up. So that's the reason, sorry, Nick, uh, the reason why we were a little late getting started was because even though I swapped into this really cruddy trip, just so I could be here with us, and it, it, I had a very I see nice how you trip. feel about it. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. <laughs> I had a, this trip I'm on is not a good trip compared to what I had. I swapped into this trip just so I could be here in Charlotte. And of course, what happens? I'm here in Charlotte, but it was just a, a very stressful day to get here. Well, now that you have your bourbon, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that uh, things are improving for you. And you're here with friends. Yep. Well, one sip of bourbon I've had, and I didn't even have time to eat today. So, food is on the way. Food is on the way. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to look like a ravenous pig going after that food. Uh oh. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty if you're watching the video. We're, we apologize. It'll all be recorded on. I can I can mute this so that you don't hear the audio. But uh, for those of you watching, I'm sorry. Well, that's why I have this girlish figure. Just wash it out for your fingers, guys. Yes. Right. I can keep mine. I wish I could hear what he's saying. That's not a hot dog. What do you say? <laughs> Watch out for her fingers. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's true. I'm sorry. Dana's having trouble hearing uh, Captain Nick, but uh, we're going to push through. We're going to push through. Okay. Um, Steph, yeah. how about your week? Have you done anything interesting? Well, this is actually the second time I've seen Dana this week, oh. as he kind of alluded to, because this trip that he swapped into um, brought him here on Tuesday night as well. So um, Tuesday was kind of a hectic day for me, but we ended up being able to go out to dinner just across the street from here. Uh, Dana's captain came out with us and we had some tacos and Mexican food and a couple of beers. She and- ate poor taco. I ate taco. She ate taco. Oh, no. Yes. Actually, I, no, that's, no not that's not true. I saw you a had, picture. You had tacos. I ate a quesadilla. That's true. That's true. I ate your taco. You, you ate taco. Your poor doggy. No, 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 no. Sad I saw situation. a picture of taco today. Yes. Uh, straight from- um, From the groomers. From the groomers. Wearing very a very, nice. very spiffy uh, little scarf. A bandana. A bandana. Yes. Yes. What's the difference? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's a difference. But, uh, there, but bandana sounds really way way more cool. Yeah. Than I, a I, scarf. It sounds more manly for yeah, my Yeah, bandana. My well, what was on the bandana? Snoopy. That, oh, Snoopy. Yeah. Taco so, wants to be Snoopy, the flying dog. Red Baron. Yeah. When he grows up. That's cool. Yeah. That's so cute. So, but yeah. So it's been a it's been a very nice week. And who uh, else did you get to see on Tuesday? I did see Miami Rick. You did. I did. Oh. He was here in Charlotte. He sent me a the reason I I put off Dana on on dinner for an hour later than we had planned on, so I could run over there and say hi. So oh, was, okay, nice. So it was yeah, nice I to see him. Rick. News. What news from Rick? Um, a lot, but hopefully he's going to come and tell us about it at some point. It's not my news to share. Okay, so, well that sounds good. But I actually, you. I actually do have news to share. If if that's just personal news, yeah. If everyone is interested. Do you remember back a couple of weeks ago, I took a trip to Charleston yeah. over my birthday? Right. So yeah. the, the big news is, is that I got engaged that what? weekend. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, and I've been waiting oh, to wow. get, well, the ring was. Oh. <laughs> nice. Well done, sir. Thank you. 
the ring was being sized. It, it, Justice did a very nice job of picking out this ring, but it was a little. Let me see. So, oh, very, oh very I'll have to turn beauty. it around for the uh, camera yeah. in a second. But, and then I delayed a oh, little longer wow. because my family was in town the other week, and I wanted to tell them in person. So I told them, and I've, I've told most of the people I wanted to tell in person before making mass announcements. Congratulations! So, wow, thank that's you. Awesome. And then I figured you guys would uh, like to be here in person to see the the ring for the first time too. And so, so Jeff, you, if you didn't spot the ring earlier, what's the matter with you? I uh, was really well, sneaky about it. <laughs> and I don't normally look for wedding rings on Dr. Steph's hand for some reason. Well, I don't you can't know. miss that rock for heaven's yeah, sake. Yeah, I don't know how I missed that. Beautiful. Were you wearing Huge. it? Well done, I actually Steph. was not wearing it. Ah, see. <laughs> yeah, you weren't wearing it on I Tuesday wasn't. either. No, I wasn't wearing it on Tuesday either. And actually, I don't normally wear it to work though because it it's hard to put on gloves and no, work yeah. and it kind of yeah oh that's but, awesome yeah, yeah do you guys have a date planned oh, no. yet no well, okay. i mean we've been together for seven years at this point yeah so, so maybe another uh, seven years it might be another seven years <laughs> don't hold your breath for an actual <laughs> wedding. Anything, uh, special happen for the engagement how did he propose yes yeah? well so you had a little bit to do with it nick if you remember um <laughs> like a year ago <laughs> Uh, so it was actually, it was really nice. Um, he chartered a sailboat. So we went out on a sailboat in Charleston Harbor at sunset and it was, like I said, it was the weekend after my birthday. So he had little, you know, gifts that he had brought along for just, just little things for my birthday. But the last one was a book that he had put together with just a bunch of, it was just a picture book basically that he had compiled all these pictures, ordered this book, put it together with a little story a bunch of stuff from the past seven years. And then the last two pages, he had taken a couple of pictures, mostly within the last year, where it's the two of us together. But behind my back, he's holding a little sign that says, marry me. <laughs> so, And Nick took one of those pictures at Farnborough <laughs> last year. So, Well, you know what? Yes, we were I all I know you were aware on, on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm we sure you were. On that. Yeah, I'm sure that was were. great. So, awesome. I actually meant writing. to bring the book today, too, and I forgot it. I'm sorry. I'm ter- I know. I'm terrible. I'll show you some other time. So. Oh, well. But yeah, he did a very nice job. Oh, that is so, that's so great. Oh, wow. <laughs> Love congratulations. Like thank thank yes. you. Thank you. Super congrats. Wow. I don't know what else to do uh, I after that. I, just, I mean, it's, everything else is going to be a letdown. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for everybody right. for uh, joining us today on Airline Pilot Guy, episode 278, a special short episode. No, just kidding. We have a lot more to talk about, but it's not as exciting as that, but uh, it's still going to be fun to talk about. So uh, let's see. Captain Nick, uh, anything um, interesting happening over there on your side of the pond? Uh, well, yeah, lots, actually. Uh, I'll try and keep it short. Um, I did a trip a few days ago, a quick New York. Uh, that was was going to be a quick. It's a bit like Dana's uh, saga today. Uh, I pitched up no first officer. Uh, we were delayed out of uh, London as a result. I picked up a first officer who was due to go to a different destination. Uh, he got on board. Um, by the time we got ourselves into uh, New York, I was like parking the airplanes, and it was 90 seconds before I ran out of duty time when I put the parking brake on. That's how uh, long a day it was. So um, I was basically watching the clock uh, time down as I uh, taxied in and rattling along, trying to make sure I got in and, you know, cut that ramp controller at New York in the international ramp. I, I could get up there and throttle them. I really could. They're all just as bad. They're so slow. They held me 
for an aircraft that wasn't anywhere near getting it in my way. And so I sat there for like a full five minutes going, I, I could be on stand now. What's the matter with these people? Anyway, we uh, we got on uh, pretty tired when I got to the hotel. At least you can imagine having had such a long duty day. And it was by that time, by the time we got to the hotel, it was 3 a.m. New York time, which would have been 8 o'clock in the morning UK time. Um, I had trouble sleeping, and uh, when I woke up, I didn't feel particularly well. Did a bit of work, um, had an upset stomach, still not good. But then the company had interrupted my short sleep to ask me if I was willing to operate an earlier flight because they had some disruption down at Washington, one that a mover skipper down there wanted me to replace them. And I, I said, no, I can't. Uh, I, I've had, I'm very fatigued. I've uh, had a bad night's sleep. It wouldn't be safe. So uh, I cried off that and uh, just uh, got a reasonable night's sleep second night and uh, went home. So that was all fine and beautiful. And then between there and now, uh, my wife has been cracking the whip over my head so that I can try and make my corner of this house presentable because we've got the lovely Liz Piper coming to stay with us for a few days. Uh, she has just flown over from Toronto and uh, landed successfully at Heathrow uh, about an hour and a half ago. She's and she just showed up in the chat room. She got to her ah, hotel. Brilliant. So. Well, welcome, uh, Liz. She should have checked herself into a hotel now, and I know that Jill is going to pop over tomorrow morning and pick her up, so she, I hope she gets a good night's sleep. And then uh, she's going to spend a few days with us. Um, we're going to show around, and uh, Jilly's going to take her to see um, some tennis at Wimbledon. So that is going to be good fun. We're going to have a, a bit of a get-together with some friends and a barbecue, so all looking forward to that, and uh, can't wait to, uh, to see Liz. Yeah, I'm sure uh, that's going to be a lot of fun and uh, exciting for you all to see her and her to see you and your and lovely home. Yeah, that too, and Wimbledon's going to be a lot of fun, I'm sure, for them. Yep, forecast is good, so we've all got our fingers crossed. Excellent. Fantastic. All right, well, let's see. I think we're all caught up in uh, our personal stuff. Dave Abbey sent this to me um, a little while back, and uh, I uh, kind of it fell through the cracks a little bit, and uh, so I want to play it now. He went to um, some kind of a festival or something, and he heard somebody singing something. Now we'll put the uh, link to the video. This is a hangar door and uh, an airplane behind them. And they're playing uh, a couple of guitars, I guess, and singing. The Java Job. Dave said, wow. Another connection between the Java Jive and aviation. So he uh, sent this clip to us. So thank you, David, for sending this movie. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what the airplane was behind. I think it's a, probably a, a cub. It looks like it? Yeah. something like a cub, some yeah. kind of a high wing tail dragger. Maybe decathlon, but I don't think so. I couldn't tell for certain. Yeah. I'm sure someone will watch it and they'll know immediately. Yeah. And they'll yeah. tell us. Well, somebody. Um, you know, watching or listening right now, um, after the fact here, go ahead and click on the uh, movie and uh, watch it. Thank you, David, for thinking of us when you uh, saw the uh, uh, the pilots in the hangar singing Java Jive. That's pretty cool. You know what? I should probably we should probably contact them 
and we should have them record yes. <laughs> Java. We need, we need a copy of this recorded for yeah. Anyway. Oh, you know what? Um, what was it? Two, three weeks ago when we had the New York City uh, meetup, uh, Captain Nick flew over and mm-hmm. I met up with him. I, I don't know how long ago that was, a few weeks ago, I guess. Um, uh, people were remarking that Captain Nick had uh, said something kind of um, special on on the uh, radio. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, so uh, Liz sent me um, the recording of it and I, I kind of – uh, edited uh, it a little bit, and uh, let's take a listen to that. Hopefully, we'll cross our fingers here, and you'll be able to hear this. Heavy established two two left. Virgin one three seven heavy Kennedy Tower. Good afternoon. Constantly clear. Let's traffic rolling out. Heavy Airbus three thirty. Wind two one zero at six. Runway two two left. Clear to end. Caroline two two left. Virgin one three seven eight BG. Caroline two two left. Virgin one three seven eight BG. Eight BG. Eight BG. Wow. I didn't realize you said it so many times. Wow. <laughs> I mean, neither did I. But, uh, <laughs> the magic of audio editing. Uh, yeah, you kind of just kind of uh, snuck that APG in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always like to slip one in when I can. <laughs> That's what she said, right? Uh-huh. All right. Um, That's what you know, she and said. I took, I took a note. Uh, I took a, a page out of your book there, Captain Nick, when I was flying in to see Jennifer in Columbus. Uh-huh. I did the same thing, but nobody was listening to me. So. Aww. Aww. You got to let us know. That's you need to let the stalkers know. It's so sad, so sad. With the sad, sad situation, and it's getting more more absurd. Or just let us know when it was, and we'll just go back and pull the audio. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Whenever he plays anything, I can't hear anybody. So okay. <laughs> I'm used right. to being toned out. So anyway, I just thought I'd share that with everyone. That was that was fun. Thank you, Nick, for uh, slipping that in there. Uh, and the place on stalkers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. We oh, speaking of the APG and uh, people talking about our show, uh, uh, Brand, you, you may may or may not have heard me talking about the, the, on my solo show that I did, episode two seventy, I believe, when uh, it was entitled Old School. I talked about uh, Brandon Gonzalez. He has a uh, he's a new podcaster. Has a new podcast out there called Podcasting on a Plane. Podcasting, no, wait. Podcasting on a Plane podcast. And uh, he had a meetup out in San Diego, and um, he put it on his latest episode of the show. And I, uh, after listening to it, I said, "Is it okay if we play it on our show?" Because I think everybody would get a kick out of it. So, here's Brandon Gonzalez. Uh, his show again, podcasting on a plane, and let's uh, let's hear this. Um, this part I'm about to play for you here is a discussion I had with a women in aviation up and comer and a fellow San Diegan named Serena. It's like, don't even put the beer down; just hold it. Just you know? yeah, that's exactly <laughs> my safety beer. Um, I'm here with Serena Hart, and she contacted me after uh, hearing about my podcast from APG, and she was excited that um, that there was an aviation podcast that was coming out of the San Diego area, and since I, I think. Pretty much every other aviation podcast is East Coast based, right? That there's, there's, seems to be the trend that there's I'm There's nothing out here. It's crazy. So we're going to do our best to change that. So this is our first meetup, hangout, whatever you want to call it. And uh, we're out west and we're doing this. So anyway, we agreed to meet up and do a little recording for, uh, for everyone. And you have a few things that you wanted to share. I do. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, just... Uh 
I'm, yeah, I'm 24 years old. I, I'm new to the San Diego aviation community, and I've definitely uh, just like dove dove straight in. And what I'm what I'm learning throughout this whole process is the incredibly small world that the aviation community lives in, um, which is you know how I found you, and I think it's great that you know you are so close to San Diego. Um, and it was great to find a fellow APG listener because yeah, I never thought I'd be anyone on the uh, West Coast that that listens to them. That's right. Um, it, you know, it's been sad. I feel like a little lonely over here. What are we gonna do? We're out here all by ourselves in the West Coast. I know exactly. And I, I mean, you think you got Captain Nick all the way over in the UK? You'd think that they'd go out west a little bit more, but uh, apparently not. There's no there's no California love. Bummer. So uh, yeah, we're just. We're sitting here drinking uh, my favorite beer, uh, Belching Beaver Peanut Butter Stout. Unfortunately, it's not an IPA. Sorry, Dr. Steph. That's right. That's how we do it out west. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, so I've had actually some really exciting news uh, in my life. Uh, A week ago now, I was elected to be the Women in Aviation International San Diego Chapter President. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was, uh, it's been quite the ride. Uh, I only moved to San Diego, like I said, a few months ago. And, you know, I joined this organization and, you know, asked to be on some committees. And I guess I impressed the right people. And here I am, you know, uh, shaking hands and taking business cards at airport associating uh, association meetings. Sorry. So that's been really exciting for me. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see, uh, you know, what comes next. Uh, in this role, you know, I'm much younger than my, you know, the former president, which I think is, you know, making me feel like I have some big shoes to fill. But I think that uh, I think I could do it. You know, uh, something that Brandon and I were just talking about a few minutes ago was how the aviation community really is uh, uh, supportive of you know anyone that wants to join. There doesn't really seem to be any sort of like competition. Um, everyone really wants to see you excel in whatever, you know, whatever, uh, career in the aviation world that you want to pursue. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm really excited and, uh, I think this is going to be, uh, a great thing, you know, knowing you and being able to kind of, uh, be on your podcast with you and also sit around and talk about APG. Absolutely. No, and, and big shout out to uh, Captain Jeff and the APGers for, um, I mean, just, it, it's a big community and, and, you know, it spreads into all kinds of other little communities, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, we're all in this aviation thing together. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, I totally agree with you. Everybody's always willing to help. Everybody's always willing to, I mean, we all, all want to be the best pilot or the best controller, the best whatever, but at the end of, of the day, we're all in this thing together and, um, you know, helping somebody get what they get where they need to go is, is the most important part. So, uh, anyway, big shout out to them. Absolutely. I'm glad we got to do this. And, um, I feel like we probably have not heard the last from you on this podcast. Absolutely not. And, and your predecessor, uh, we're, we're definitely going to do an interview with her too. So you guys out there can, can look forward to a great interview that's going to center around, uh, women in aviation as an organization and, and the great work that they do. Yeah. Um, actually something, something that's fun and, uh, exciting coming up, uh, not, not quite. There's, uh, there's an event in September that I'd love for any uh, Southern Californians to know about. 
Um, it's an awesome event put on by Women in Aviation International, but each chapter throws their own event, and it's different everywhere you go. Uh, ours last year was uh, for girls ages 8 to 16, um, all around the San Diego and Los Angeles area, and they actually got to meet um, a bunch of the Blue Angels. This year, we are doing an event actually here at the Palomar Airport. It's September 23rd, and the whole goal of the day is to educate young girls about what it's like to be in the aviation uh, aviation community, what it's like to be an a, a airplane mechanic or a pilot or even you know a, a flight attendant. We have so many women from all across the board in our, uh, in our chapter. So we're going to be, yeah, holding a, it's a few hour event, September 23rd, and if you go to www.waisandiego.org, you can uh, sign up if you're interested in joining, and it's a totally free event, so it, it should be pretty fun. We've got a lot of exciting stuff planned that I, I can't, I can't spill the beans about details, but I can definitely say uh, it'll be, it'll be an awesome time, so more, more on that later on, but uh, yeah, I just thought I'd give a little shout out to that. Absolutely, it sounds great. And actually, I think one of uh, one of my coworkers, one of my controllers friends, actually usually does a little a little gig at that too. So maybe that'll happen this year too. Yeah, I hope so. It's, we just actually had a meeting about it tonight before I before I got here, and I'm really uh, I'm excited. It's going to be a great day. That's awesome. So uh, I'll tell you what, if uh, if people are wanting to get on that early, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, you can email me directly. I think that would be the, the best way to contact me. My email is waisd.prez at gmail.com. Waisd.prez at gmail.com. My name is Serena. And uh, yeah, you can email me directly and I'll, I can give you the, um, all the proper links to get signed up for that day. Sounds good. And if anybody has any issue getting to it that way, then um, you know, hit me up at the show either way, the website, email, uh, send me an audio feedback, whatever you need, and I'll, of course, point you in the right direction. Uh, I think it's going to be a really fun thing to do. Thank you very much. All right. Well, this has been awesome. We have not heard the last from you for sure. And uh, I think we're just going to get back to hanging out. What do you think? Hanging out and finishing our beers. All right. There you go. All right. Shout out to uh, APG community and... Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys later. Well, thank you, Brandon and Serena. Awesome to see uh, aviation enthusiasts out in Southern California. And uh, I, I mean, do you see the common theme here? Aviation, bar, mm-hmm. drinking good beer. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll have to pardon your faux pas. We're not uh, drinking an IPA, IPA out there, Serena. Yeah. But It's okay. I, I don't expect everyone to drink an IPA. Yeah, I, I guess. I so. enjoy IPAs, but. There are a lot of other fine styles of beers out there. So. Actually, the well, one that she was drinking sounded pretty interesting. Yeah. 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 I, don't know. Yes, I, I wouldn't say they have that much in common with us, Jeff. After all, most of what they said made sense. Mm. Ah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, here's another sound effect for Captain Nick's statement. What about the toilet, toilet flushing? That would have been better. The toilet flushing, yes, yes, yes. yes. So um, anyway, check out that, if you haven't already, I know, like, do you need another podcast to listen to? Well, I think you do. It's called Podcasting on a Plane Podcast. By the way, I have a little uh, picture uh, on the uh, on uh, Brandon's uh, Facebook page, Podcasting on a Plane. And he it's a picture of him sitting in an airline seat 
with the tray table out and he has his mixer and his microphone and he's actually podcasting on a plane. I love it. <laughs> That's very, very clever. So, uh, good luck with the uh, podcast. I, I'm really enjoying listening to it. And, uh, um, uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to meet up with, uh, you, Brandon and Serena, one of these, uh, weeks, months, whatever, uh, in Southern California. I'm sure I'm going to be out there, uh, you know, a few times this year. All right. Uh, speaking of meetups, I met up with, uh, this guy named Steve Horn. You may have heard of the, uh, segments that he sends in occasionally called H I G H how I got here. Very, very well produced, um, interviews that he does. And, uh, he said, Hey, I'm going to be in Atlanta and I see that you might be home. Why don't we, uh, get together? And so I saw him just a few days ago while he was on layover layover in Atlanta. So let's take a listen to that. So I'm here with Steve Horn, Captain Steve. You know, he's the guy that does these uh, awesome, superbly produced um, bits, or I'm not sure what you call it, but uh, uh, hi, uh, not hi, hello, but H-I-G-H, how I got here. Uh, the last one being uh, the one that he did with the uh, African pilot. Uh, well, I guess he's not African. I guess he was born in Africa, but he's now a, he's an American citizen, right? So an African-American, uh, Bosan or bassoon or okay and uh very very entertaining and uh we're always so impressed with uh with those when you send them to us i guess that was number seven and uh and we're we're looking forward to uh no pressure we're looking forward to hearing more of those and steve and i were sitting here at the uh, mellow mushroom on virginia avenue just uh to the north west of the atlanta international airport he's on layover here and so we decided to get together while he was here in town and uh, we were discussing how he does these recordings of uh, how i got here uh, and uh, so let me ask you a couple of questions so this is uh something that you're interviewing your first officer we never hear of you in these uh in these little bits that you do. Um, so tell us how, how these are done. That's uh, mildly intentional that you don't hear me. Um, you know, as we're flying, talk to these guys and hear their stories of how they got to where they are. Um, it started uh, probably a couple of years ago when I first upgraded, flew with a couple of first officers that had just crazy stories of how they got to where they are. One guy was a uh, refugee from Sudan came over with a mission group when he was a kid and wound up um, as one of my first officers. The other guy was a uh, uh, refugee from Cuba who at nine years of age came over on a raft with his family. And of course the question comes up, how did you get to where you are now? And they tell the story of how they get there. And I thought it would be an interesting, interesting bit to do and uh, share with the APG community because there are so many, uh, people that have that question of like, wait, you're a pilot. How did you do it? What did you do? And so just interesting stories. And I say, hey, you guys want to record something here? And I kind of play some of the show and play some of the bits that I've done up to that point. And they're like, oh, yeah, let's, that sounds cool. And they a lot of times don't know what they're 
getting into, but it's, it's always a lot of fun. So I, I wonder how many of these actually go back and listen to the show that they're featured on. Um, but do you know that? Um, usually I'll send them, you know, when I hear that it's coming on, Jeff sends me a, uh, a letter saying, Hey, they're coming up. They were going to play this one on episode, whatever. So I'll send them a message. Hey, check out episode 270 or whatever it is. And, uh, most of them are pretty excited about it. And I would hope they go and listen to it. So, so you were telling me, you were kind of hinting that, uh, that you don't always just ask them questions and they just start telling their story. Uh, so how, how do you do that? Literally, it's just in the airplane, we're talking and they tell about some story of flying in Africa or ferrying airplanes overseas and having, you know, windows blow out and whatever. And you're like, oh, man, that's crazy, you know. And so then when I, you know, later on in the hotel, I'll be like, hey, come on over the room and we'll set up the mics. And, and um, I'll just be like, hey, just tell that story, you know, and they'll literally just start telling their story. And, and then I'm like, okay, let's go back and, and we'll do... uh Let's do another take of that one. And, you know, and they'll embellish a little more, tell it a little bit clearer or something like that. Um, and we kind of just walk through. It's usually a couple hours of time that we spend recording and, and talking through the stories and kind of coming up with a logical sequence of how they did what they did. And then um, I'll go back in, you know, over the next few days and weeks in the case of Bosoons, um, where I'll just go in and start cleaning them up with, um, I don't know, grammatical, you know, what is it called when you say, uh, or, or, um, just stuff like that. I, I try to tell them, Hey, when you're talking, if you can't think of anything, just stop, you know, and just leave silence in there. And then what I can do is go back in and cut that whole silence out and bring it right together. And it just sounds like they just continued on talking. So... I wish that I could do that. <laughs> you know, yeah, I started doing this in 2009. And when I started doing my show, I'd go through there and I'd cut out every single, uh, and, uh, mm, and I finally got to the point where I'm never going to learn not to do this. So I hope that people understand that that's just the way I talk. And, uh, you know, so it's just my, my, uh, my brain trying to keep up with my mouth or vice versa. I'm not sure which is more accurate, but, uh, I think that, and occasionally I'll still go through there and clean up some of those, but it's, it would take me forever to edit a three hour show with me going, uh, um, uh, because I do a lot of it. So what kind of, you said you, you go to your hotel room and you set up the microphones. What kind of equipment are you using? Um, I'm just using my MacBook pro, um, into garage band and I have, um, an EV RE20, RE20. Yeah. I got a couple of those. They were my dad's. He was a, uh, radio, uh, type of guy. So these are those radio microphones and, um, plug those into the computer and we'll just set them down on a, on a little tripod, um, that I have and, uh, record and they, they work out really good. And those mics, you know, the size of them and the metallic nature of them really show up in the x-ray machines uh going through tsa and uh yeah i get a i get a lot of delays with my bags coming through the x-ray machine the people looking at the screen i'm going uh microphone and they're like oh that's what that is okay you do karaoke on the side <laughs> no I, I i don't it's a it's for a podcast the airline pilot guy you should look it up <laughs> That's so funny because I get the same thing. Uh, they go, you know, they, they pause. They can tell the, the belt is stopped. 
And I go, yeah, I have a bunch of audio equipment and microphone. I go, ah, and they, and they say the same thing. Ah, karaoke? No, no karaoke. Uh, podcast. And then usually they get that blank stare. Podcast. Although, more recently, most people have heard of a podcast, which I couldn't say a, a few years back. They go, a pod, and that's an internet radio. And they go, ah, and they still kind of like, okay, whatever. Move on. Next. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I love uh, discussing the uh, the process and the production of these great uh, audio uh, interviews that you do, and uh, they they add so much to our show. And I say our show, not my show, because it really is not my show. It's just I happen to be the guy that started it. But uh, it's just it's it's all of the crew. It's people like Steve. Uh, that send us in awesome stuff to play for the community. And it's all of you out there listening right now, the community, uh, whether you contribute to the show or you don't contribute to the show. And when I say contribute, I mean contribute content, contribute money or both. Or if you're just listening to the show, I mean, that is contributing to, to our show, believe it or not. Um, and, uh, you know, going to the meetups and all that kind of stuff. So it's just, uh, uh, it's just, uh, uh, I'm very blessed to, to have so many people so involved in, uh, in this thing that we call the APG. And, uh, Steve, you're, you're one of those that, uh, I just feel like, wow, you know, God really blessed me that you just on your own. I never asked you to do this. You said, Hey, I'm, you just, uh, just sent it to me. And I went, Oh, wow, listen to this. This is awesome. So we're hoping I, I can, I think I can speak for everybody. Uh, we're hoping that, uh, you'll continue to, um, send in and do these wonderful productions and we're also hoping that one of these days you'll fly for Acme and then maybe we'll do a show together and uh, you know who knows we'll do one of these how I got here's uh, with me uh, uh, featured or something I don't know we'll see but of course everybody listening to the show already knows how I got here so that wouldn't be very interesting oh, well anything else you'd like to say before we go um, not much. I just like you're saying, it's a it's a big community. I run into people every once in a while that have that listened to the show that have been a part of it. Um, I'm pushing my first officers over to you guys all the time, and um, yeah, I started listening episode seventy ish right before I upgraded to captain a couple of years ago. And what it was then to what it is now is is amazing to have have seen it and been able to watch it. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's just an amazing community to uh, to be a part of. Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, appreciate like everything crazy. you do uh, as part of this APG. And uh, hopefully we'll get together again soon. Absolutely. So thank you uh, again, Steve, for the uh, How I Got Here segments that you send in. Uh, I believe you sent in seven total already. And no pressure, as I said, in the uh, uh, in the meetup with him, uh, but uh, whenever you get around to doing another one, we're all waiting. Always love it and consume. No, oh, absolutely, yeah. They, they, they uh, people like plane tales, but quite honestly, I listen to every one of those. Uh, uh, how I got here, <coughs> excuse me, and I just love them. They're, oh, excuse me, something in my throat. It's making me very emotional. <laughs> oh, that's oh. that's nice. <coughs> oh. Actually, I think it was a nut. Got nuts in my throat. That's a bit sad, isn't it? Yeah, it's very sad. (laughs) Mostly awkward. Gonads are useful for their purpose, but they are no substitute for brains. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's see. So, speaking of meetups, 
Uh, we have several planned for next month. Um, let's see, tomorrow in Pittsburgh, if you happen to be listening live, uh, by the time you hear this, uh, it's going to be too late. But if you're listening live, I'm meeting up with Paul uh, from Warren, Ohio in uh, Pittsburgh tomorrow. And uh, if you want to join us, we'll be meeting up around five o'clock in the Market Square area, probably. Uh, so uh, contact me if, uh, if you're interested in joining us. Uh, July 6th uh, in Portland, Maine. I'll have a layover there, and I'm planning um, to meet up with uh, Micah, maybe record in his uh, recording studio there in uh, beautiful Portland. And I know that we have a few others that live in the Portland area. I believe, uh, was it Mark, Main Man Mark? I know it's not the same as Main Man Micah, but I believe he sent us feedback before and said if we're ever in the area that he'd be interested in uh, meeting up with us. So uh, if you're listening to this and you are interested in you know, or you live in that area and want to meet up with some aviation geeks, uh, check us out. Uh, follow us on the uh, APG crew Twitter address or Facebook or, or Slack. Don't forget Slack. Um, July 11th in Baltimore, um, Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I think Hillel and uh, a few others are already uh, kind of coordinating this meetup. And uh, so, again, that's July 11th in Baltimore. July 21st in Columbus, Ohio. I believe that uh, somebody in the chat room right now is going to be there at that meetup, uh, Jen, and uh, hopefully you if you're in the area as well. And then uh, I have a trip on the latter week of the month. I believe it's the last trip that I have of the month, or maybe it's the second to last. Anyway, on July 26th, I'm going to have a all-day layover in Madison, Wisconsin. And it's one of these trips that I don't normally like to fly. It flies late at night the first night, late at night the second night getting into Madison, but I'm off all next day, all Wednesday. That happens to be the week that Oshkosh is going on. And so if I do actually fly this trip, I'm uh, most likely going to uh, rent a car and drive up to Oshkosh. So maybe I'll be able to see some of you. I know many of you listening to the show right now are planning on uh, attending uh, the uh, EAA Air Venture. So uh, maybe I'll get to hang out with you guys and uh, you can show me around Oshkosh. I've never been. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been several times. Oh, neat. Three, actually. Excellent. Good time. That's All right. Quite a, quite a few meetups there. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm not sure when I'm going to have time to do anything else. Um, oh, and then you're going to be in Atlanta on the 4th of July running uh, the, the Peachtree Peach Road, Road Race. Yes. Yeah. Which, Are you going to be there just on the 4th? Just on the 4th. I've got to okay. work Monday and Wednesday. Oh. So, um, yeah, I will, I'll probably be getting in late on Monday, so nothing's going to happen then. But if you're okay. in Atlanta and you want to come down to the finish line and cheer for us, that'd be – I don't know how else to uh, get in touch with people, and I'll probably be actually busy with the friends that I'm going to be with. But, um, yeah, I'll be running the race that morning. It's so. my uh, oldest daughter's birthday that day. I'm not really sure exactly what I'll be doing, but if I if I'm able to extract myself from – Everything that's going around. Uh, yeah, the house, it's, maybe. it's early in the morning. That's right. Yeah, yeah. it's usually an early race. So, okay. I won't be around. Sorry. That's I'm right. working. Oh, bummer. Oh, on the 4th? Yeah, don't, we don't even want to get into that. Okay. Well, well by the way, they got the uh, pilot that I'm flying with today, the co-pilot, uh-huh. he's only been with our company six months. Uh-huh. He has a bid for a captain on the MD-88 in Atlanta. Uh-huh. He's going to convert in uh, October or November. Just thought I'd throw that at you. And Dana's day has been so wonderful so far. He had to <laughs> add that to his. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now he's drinking, drinking heavily again. 
this whole world that we're living in right now is just completely upside down. I, I, I'm not understanding it at all. But uh, if I had known it was going to be that long, yeah, or there's going to be that many awards, yeah. I wouldn't have done it the way I did it. Yeah. Oh well. <clears throat> Maybe you can get in there earlier. Yeah. I suppose I'm a captain now. Mm-hmm. I don't go to training until next May. Next yeah, I know. Hmm. Meanwhile, the guy that hasn't even been with, he's still on probation and he's only been with our company for six months, is going to go to training before Dana. <laughs> I don't get that. I, I, I don't get, I, I just, yeah. this whole thing with these new hires becoming captains. I know. I just, I just hope that uh, they, don't they don't screw anything up. That's they don't, they don't, they haven't done, they don't have, have the training diapers off yet. I know. Uh, and all the rest of us can do is just hope that uh, they won't. They won't mess up. All right. Uh, let's see. I think it's now time. Unless you have anything to add, Captain Nick, if you're still with us. Uh, no, I left a long time ago. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I think it's now time for us to quickly talk about the coffee fund. The karaoke version. Coffee, I love tea. I love the Java, Java, and it loves me. Coffee and tea, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. I love Java, sweet and hot. Whoops, Mr. Moto, I'm a coffee pot. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. And while Dana serenades us in the background, we're going to talk about the, or maybe not, Airline Pilot Guy Java Jive Coffee Fund. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that and not me. Anyway. I have a day job for a reason. <laughs> so the reason why we're playing the Java Jive, not the Inksbog version, because those of you in countries around the world that had their video blocked couple episodes ago. Sorry. I'm not going to take that chance anymore, so I don't think we're going to hear the ink spots anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's a sad, sad story. But uh, anyway, uh, the Java Jive is what we play in the background because we have this thing called the Coffee Fund, where you can contribute to the show financially, and uh, if you have the resources to do so, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. There you'll find a couple different ways to contribute to the show. We have uh, the classic method uh, via PayPal. If you want to just do a one-time contribution or a recurring contribution, you can do that with PayPal, the classic method. Also, uh, something called Patreon. You can become a patron of the show, and uh, you pledge a certain amount per episode, and uh, several of you out there have done that, and we do appreciate that. And uh, let's see, since the last episode... We have um, Steve Trumbull, um, his recurring contribution via the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And we have a new, actually not new, he was already a patron, uh, but he bumped it up from the $1 to $5 per episode level. So now he's an executive producer of the Airline Pilot Guy show. So thank you very much, Eric, for doing that. And if you, again, want to check out how you can contribute to the show become part of the coffee fun cadre head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee and thanks a lot
Okay, the first thing I'd like to talk about, first thing in our news folder, is a little incident that happened over at Dayton International Airport. They had a air show last weekend, I believe, and uh, the uh, the the headline performer uh, were the Thunderbirds, or were they were supposed to be anyway. Uh, I believe it was uh, Friday, the day before the Saturday air show. Uh, there was a little incident that occurred with one of the Thunderbirds, Thunderbird 8, actually. And uh, let's uh, take a listen to uh, the ATC recording. Thunderbird 8, Dayton Tower, runway 6 left, clear to land, runway 6 left, RVR, greater than uh, 6 out. And the overrun. Okay, that was the transmission from Thunderbird 8. Zero four, uh, advise that Dayton is closed right now due to a uh, aircraft accident. Advise your stay in Okay, um, do you know how long they'll be closed for? That's going to be quite a while. All right, that's a little bit of the ATC uh, audio from the incident. They were landing on runway six left, and uh, the the weather at the time was not good it was uh, raining heavily and uh, some gusty winds as well and uh, they uh, somehow um, it got off the runway and left the runway and ended up uh, flipping the airplane upside down and uh, it rested upside down for quite some time before rescuers were able to extract the two crew members this was the f-16d model uh, the two-seater and uh, we have a little bit of audio from the uh, press conference given by, I believe, the airport director. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Terry Slayball. I'm the uh, director of aviation uh, for the city of Dayton. The city of Dayton owns and operates the Dayton International Airport. At um, approximately 1230 today, we had a, um accident on the airport. Uh, the accident involved one of the aircraft, one of the performing aircraft that is going to be and was going to be in the air show this weekend and involved, uh, two, two, uh, members of the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds team. Um, our, uh, airport fire department responded, uh, to the accident, uh, along with a number of other personnel from the city of Dayton and uh, other uh, fire department departments and emergency personnel. We did uh, assist the, the two victims of the accident that, that were on the aircraft. It did take uh, an inordinate amount of time to, to remove um, the two, two occupants of the aircraft and transport them to uh, Miami Valley Hospital. Uh, I think the, the second uh, occupant of the aircraft was extracted and transported uh, almost two hours after after the accident occurred. Okay, so that's a little uh, clip of the uh, press conference there. And uh, they brought some people over from Wright-Patterson. There were also the very large support contingent of the uh, Thunderbirds uh, there at Dayton that uh, came over to help assist with this as well. But I guess you just can't go over there and just get a bunch of people and flip the thing over like that Spitfire that we, that mm. we saw at that air show in um in Scotland, I believe um, this is a little bit heavier airplane, I believe around 25,000 pounds. And uh, of course they have to be careful about uh, certain aspects of the, of uh, this fighter uh, before they can uh, turn it 
right side up. But uh, fortunately, uh, the I, I believe the uh, he may have mentioned just now in this clip that uh, the the uh, pilot the uh, uh, Thunderbird performer uh, had some lacerations, but no really serious injuries. And I think the backseater didn't have any injuries at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, very fortunate. Yeah. So uh, they were, unfortunately, they had to cancel their performance on uh, Saturday and Sunday. But um, I'm sure that it was a great air show um, anyway, even without the Thunderbirds. I think Captain Al would probably agree to that as well. But, um, <laughs> Captain Al loves the Thunderbirds. Captain Al loves the Thunderbirds. And they love him. Bed sparrows, doesn't he? <laughs> so, um yeah, I'm not sure uh, exactly what happened here. They didn't really give us much information, except that uh, there was a runway excursion. And uh, I guess when it hit the uh, soft surface of the uh, non-paved area of the uh, runway area, it just uh, flipped over. Probably just dug in and then you know, mm-hmm. ended up. But it ended up. Uh, yeah, if it was raining and it's a, it's definitely a grassy area, so mm-hmm. it could have been really soft. Yeah, if you if you look at the uh, the photo of it, the uh, tail. It looks like the even uh, dug into the it dug in and mm-hmm. kind of supported the airplane the aircraft, not allowing the cockpit to get crushed. Well, you know what the uh, unofficial uh, nickname of this airplane is? No. I do not. Lawn dart. Oh, <laughs> That's true. <clears throat> Am I correct, Captain Nick? Well, in the early days, they used definitely used to be called the Texas lawn dart. <laughs> I think a, a lot of the guard guys flew them down there, and they were regularly uh, planting them in the desert. Yeah. Yeah, when the engine quits, you just uh, you leave the airplane and it becomes a lawn dart. Got it. Yeah, exactly right. Anyway, so uh, when we um, when we hear more about uh, exactly what happened here, we'll uh, def- definitely bring you up to date. Yes, F one hundred four, F F one eleven that you flew. I flew the C one forty one four engine high wing transport. Oh, <laughs> close, <laughs> very close, very Ding. similar. Close. No, no coconut. <laughs> <laughs> Was that yeah. you then, Captain Nick? Uh, well, I flew fighters, but uh, not the F-16. No, I flew the F-4. Is that the closest you've, you've got so far? It starts with an F. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> F-18. F-18. Well, you know, yeah. I, I fly with so many different guys that fly so many different pieces of equipment. Like the guy I'm flying with right now flew the F-111. That's what I was asking. Ah, okay. No, oh, I didn't. Really? And I'm hoping he's going to actually stop by. <clears throat> say hello. Oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah, we hope so, too. Well, ask him what that pig was like to fly. He loves it. <laughs> Uh, one of my least favorite people in the world flew uh, the F one eleven. Okay, anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll find out that story later on. No, I hope that's not the person. Hang on, let me uh, let me put this on mute for a second. Okay, good. <laughs> it was one of my old bosses. <laughs> All is well. I, I could lit read that. Do you want me to tell everyone? No, what you said? I don't. Oh. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's see. Let's continue with. Uh, oh, you know, we talked about this. I believe it was on the last show. We were talking about Jennifer Lawrence, the uh, incident with the uh, yep. mm-hmm. beach jet. The uh, We were calling it the dual engine flame out because every single story said that the uh, one engine failed and then they brought it into the diverted into uh, Buffalo, New York. And then the uh, on landing, whatever that means, the other engine failed. Well, I found this um, update on the, uh, the 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 flame out. The uh, Beachjet 400A operated by Travel Management Company, um, and their call sign is Trailblazer. For those of us who are out there flying around, and you wonder who the heck Trailblazer is, 
Um, let's see. The, this marked this incident marked the fifth engine flameout um, involving a beach jet, including three dual flameouts of this type, according to the uh, travel management company CEO Scott Wise and VP of Operations Chip Schultz. The left engine flamed out at cruising altitude. The pilots made two in-air restart attempts before diverting to Buffalo. Though it is widely reported that the right engine flamed out on short final to Buffalo, Wise told the um, Aviation Information Network this was not the case. They landed and taxied to the ramp, he said. Wise suggested that perhaps the story originated with a passenger mistaking the sound of the engine powering down for landing as an engine failure. Because there was a celebrity on board, multiple entertainment-related news outlets posted accounts of the incident, including the erroneous account of a double flameout. The right engine never quit, and it was a textbook single-engine landing. He said that they are conducting an internal investigation of the left engine failure in cooperation with the FAA probe. And I think that we talked about the fact that it was probably ice crystal icing, which has been the culprit in the other flame outs of this particular type and that particular engine. And I'm sure that they're going to find that that's exactly what happened in this case as well. But again, it was not a dual engine flame out. It was a single engine flame out. And I guess, you know, if you're going to call the airplane, uh, the engine shutting down when you arrive at the gate as a flame out, well, okay, dual engine flame out, but no, that's an intentional flame out. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but as well, a flame out, it? that's part of our checklist. Flame out, <laughs> check. Yes. Check. <laughs> <clears throat> So I just wanted to update you all on that. It's, um, amaz- it's amazing how people that are not in the business have no clue what they're talking about. And, and even pass some it along as, as fact. Yes, like pass, just- pass it along as fact. Yeah. And it's sensationalized. Everything is always so sensational mm-hmm. when it comes to airplanes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Did you uh, <laughs> hear uh, several of you listeners sent in links to uh, various places involving this story of an AirAsia XA. 330-300 down in uh, Australia. They were performing a flight from Perth in uh, West Australia to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And uh, they were at flight level 380, about 200 nautical miles south, southwest of Learmonth. Is that Learmonth? Is that the way you pronounce that, Captain Nick? Uh, Learmont, I think. Learmont, okay. Uh, Western Australia. When the left-hand engine, a Trent 772, suffered a blade fracture ingested the blade, resulting in severe damage in engine core and severe vibrations. The crew shut the engine down, drifted the aircraft down to flight level 200, and returned to Perth for a safe landing after about two hours uh, past the engine failure. Got a little bit of uh, audio. This is actually a from a, a video. I'll put the link to that video in the show notes, but here's the uh, some audio from that. And also, please uh, listen to the everything. Our uh, survival depends on your completing. Hopefully, everything will turn out for the best. Sounds like a washing machine. Yep. <clears throat> okay, so <laughs> that's a little clip of the captain making a PA. Hopefully, everything will turn out for the best. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not. It 
inspiring, is it? Was this the guy who was also like, uh, say, well, a, say a prayer? And, uh, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's one of the reasons why this became yes, such a yes. major news item is because he actually went on there. He, now, we don't have audio of him doing this, and I didn't see any video of him actually saying this on the PA, but apparently several passengers said he came on there and said, please pray <laughs> because uh, you're in a bad situation. But you got to hope for the best. Yeah, well, you got to hope for the best, yeah. right? Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, passengers reported a large bang was heard, followed by severe vibrations and sounds like a spinning washing machine. They were instructed to brace for landing. And uh, so now uh, there's a, another picture from Twitter uh, that I'm going to put on the or in the show notes shows a picture of the engine. And you can clearly see that the that uh, inlet guide vane, one of the big honking <laughs> inlet guide well, veins um, that's no that's that's the oh, first stage oh the first stage the compressor fan. oh okay yeah, i'm sorry that's a fan. fan yeah they don't have inlet guide veins then no, on this do they no, not in front of that one okay no. yeah so it was actually the first stage compressor thank you for uh for making that point uh it's gone yeah. <laughs> it's completely sheared off about maybe a couple inches from its base and uh yeah the, they're big blades too yeah wow so um yeah, the passengers. Uh, the thing I have, I want to ask about this, and and some people have been uh, discussing this. Um, they could have, instead of going all the way back to Perth, uh, which was I think a, about ninety minutes away from their position, they could have landed at a base. I believe it's a um, uh, an air force base or air base or something like that. Let me try to find the name of it here. Um, PS. Oh no, it's Learmont actually. Uh, 25 okay. minutes away. And uh, they, uh, some people were kind of criticizing them because this is one of those situations where they should have landed as soon as conditions permit. And I think that the uh, Accident Investigation Authority uh, for Australia is actually kind of looking into this, why why uh, the pilot made the decision uh, to go all the way back to uh, Perth uh, 90 minutes uh, instead of the 25-minute divert to uh, Learmont. So uh, do you have any uh Thoughts on that, Captain Nick? I'm not familiar with Lermont's uh, runway length, etc. That it's, would be my only consideration. Uh, uh, now, uh, Airbus has introduced uh, some quite conservative uh, stopping distance figures, uh, and we're um, we're in the process of introducing uh, slightly more realistic ones via the EFB. But whilst we're using paper. Uh, calculations they are pretty conservative uh, on the 330 uh, you can't uh, dump fuel so if he was pretty heavy then he may have been concerned about his landing distance that uh, you say that a 330 can't dump fuel well ours can't i don't know if other people's can but ours wow. certainly can't now that's kind of surprising okay i did look up the uh the airport and it's kind of an obscure place uh further up uh, north of perth uh, kind of where the uh, the coastline kind of goes from north and it starts heading more to the uh, to the east. Uh, that kind of uh, it's not really a corner, but that uh, part of the uh, continent. And I believe the runway is uh, three thousand forty seven meters, which is just shy of ten thousand feet. Uh, that should be okay. It's probably not going to be very high. Nowhere in Australia is very high. Um, so uh, yeah, he might. Yeah, he should have been probably okay with that. I would have thought. Yeah. Now the, the the thing that they didn't have going for them there is, that, of course, they don't have any kind of company um, facilities there to kind of handle the passengers. And I also looked to see 
if there were hotels or motels or someplace for those passengers to sleep. And there are a couple very basic, uh, like tent kind of camping facilities and, uh, very small hotels. And I would imagine that I don't know for sure, but I would imagine that uh, the number of hotel rooms was probably, you know, 50 or less. Well, I think you're alluding to the fact that maybe the dispatcher, you know, operations control center, whatever they call that for that company may have played a, a factor in, in that decision-making process. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised because, mm-hmm. you know, they're looking at the same information you're looking at. And that is, you know, there's no hotel space. It's, a, you know, there's no facilities there to, to handle the airplane. It's an ETOPS aircraft. It's, you know, 90 minutes for an ETOPS aircraft is really not that long. You have one good operating engine. Yeah. But what, then again, the you know, we've, we, you know, we have, uh, our company has had situations out there in the middle of the Pacific where they've, you know, gone to Midway Island, you know, which <laughs> has a, a lot fewer, um, niceties and uh, facilities than this, uh, Learmont, uh, airport that they could have gone to. I don't know. Again, yes. you know, it's easy to second guess their decision, but, uh, Monday morning something. quarterback. Yep. And it's not even Monday. And apparently there are versions of the A330 that can dump fuel. Okay. Interesting. So I just thought I'd mention that it was a, a kind of what, but what do you think about the, um, I guess we should really talk about this. Uh, the PA uh, from the captain basically kind of interjecting his, um, his faith and uh, religious viewpoint and asking people to pray. Um, you know, what do you think about that? It seems to me that most of the reaction to that was like, how dare he do that? You know, well, I think the, you know, no one's saying don't have faith, don't be religious, <clears throat> you know, but when you're the captain of that aircraft, that's having a very obvious problem, obvious to the passengers on board. Um, you know, if it's a situation where you can and should be reassuring, you should be. And also professional for the sake of safety, you know, so that the cabin crew can do their job. Because if you're saying things that are making passengers potentially more in a panic than they already were, um, then then that may just make things more chaotic. So, yeah, yeah, I would absolutely absolutely agree with that. I mean, Captain Nick would probably be, and Captain Captain Jeff probably are more in tune to to making those types of decisions and, and thinking about that. But you know, as a first officer, I'm obviously asked. Uh, on a regular basis that if something goes wrong to make the PA in, in lieu of the captain. And if, if you kind of incite fear, you're mm-hmm. going to get fear. And not that, and, and, not and that there's, saying there's, religious things is fearful in general, well, but if prayer, you think prayer, about prayer, that but, situation. I mean, take a step back to what he yeah. said originally. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I forget exactly what it, the verbiage on it, but it's basically, you know, we may or may not make it. Right. Okay. Well, time out. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain speaking. We've obviously have a problem with the aircraft. We're addressing the issue. We're going to get us safely back to Perth or wherever we're going. Don't say, Done. okay, well, you know, we hope we're going to make it. We have at least a 50-50 chance yeah, of making it. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's not <laughs> yeah. something you're going to say. <laughs> no. No. I mean, maybe uh, a six-month captain up. may say that. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Yes, Nick? Yeah, Dan is exactly right. Uh, I mean, uh, by all means, if you have faith, you can uh, certainly, um, I I don't see anything wrong with introducing it, but in a very positive way. Uh, If you insist on inducing faith into a PA, which I don't personally think is right, um, then uh, you should say something like, uh, God is with us and we will be safely landing this aircraft with his uh, uh, guidance very shortly. 
if that's what you want to say. But you don't say, we hope anything. You never hope something. You always assure people that it will happen. You trust something. Uh, You can trust in us that we will get the aircraft, or do our best to get the aircraft back on the ground as quickly as possible, as safely as possible, whatever we want to say. But uh, you don't uh, start uh, asking people to start relying on outside um, uh, influences uh, in order to ensure their safety. (laughs) It's kind of dumb work. We had to yeah. put the mute because he's data. digging into the ice chest and it makes a huge amount of noise. We did hear everything that you said, though, and I was trying to yeah. agree with you there. And, and Sorry. We were trying to agree with you. We just can't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, no, I understand. Yeah. Okay. Dana does understand this is an audio show, yeah? Yes, he does. I think. Uh, well, that's why Jeff was nice enough to mute it. Why? I was able to get some ice to pour myself another adult beverage. Liquid attitude adjustment from earlier. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Uh, enough of that. Quickly, uh, we talked about the uh, incident with the uh, Challenger 604 corporate jet that suffered a severe in-flight upset after passing under the wake of an Airbus A380 uh, out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And IAZA just published a safety information bulletin on Wake Vortex. And uh, we'll put a link to this in the show notes if you want to read it as well. But basically, they talk about Describing how wake works and, you know, how, how fast it settles and how fast it disperses, etc. And it also talks about things that uh, we as pilots can do to help recover from these inadvertent um, wake vortices upsets. So, Absolutely. Uh, and I might point out that Pip uh, did a very good segment on this particular incident in his last show. So if anyone is interested in finding out some more and detailed information about that, please uh, listen to pip uh, pip's last uh, broadcast plane safety podcast pip who's that not sure i'm not yeah, familiar no, with that no, guy no, no. <laughs> the middle of the apple of our eye yes, yes he is pip we love you man and great show by the way um so uh many 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 of you sent uh feedback regarding this J- amongst you uh, jim howard and nick wilson Jim says, an elderly lady in China seems, no, he starts off by saying, does throwing coins into a jet engine bring good luck? Well, an elderly lady in China seems to think so. And uh, you know what? Before we move on to the actual um, piece here, I'm going to uh, play some exclusive audio. We just happen to have, uh, we have some sources, connections there that actually recorded this uh, occurring. So let's take a listen. <laughs> so um yeah um you know you're listening to the apg and uh, we have our sources and uh, apparently this chinese lady was uh, pretty excited um yelling um and hooting and hollering and throwing the coins in the engine actually i believe that the engine wasn't running uh to be honest with you i just kind of made that whole thing up but i had fun with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice one. thank you so uh, nine coins were found in the engine. I guess this lady was, uh, they were boarding passengers. Uh, they were using a um, uh, one of the air stairs, I believe, uh, because I can't imagine how you would have access to throw coins into an engine unless you were uh, outside and, and had or, a... She's or, a good shot. Or, yeah. Just, or, you know, like, or a professional baseball player with, you know... Right. An elderly no, lady. No. 80, I think she's like 80 years old or something like that. Anyway, she as she was passing by the yeah. engine... 
on the uh, on the air stairs. She threw a handful of coins, nine of them to be exact. Nine coins were found in the – well, we're hoping it was only nine. Nine coins were found in the engine with the captain warning that that could have caused engine failure. And uh, let's see. Ground staff said the woman who appeared to be about 80 and had limited mobility was accompanied by her husband, daughter, and son-in-law. So uh, anyway, the captain was quoted as saying the metal if sucked up. Oh, I already said that. Flight was later given a green light and took off at 5.52, more than five hours late. So, uh, you know, it looks like they were able to find all the all the metallic objects uh, before starting the engine. And well, What uh, else are you going to do with all the American chains and chi- change in China? Yeah, I know. It, doesn't it look like uh, there's a picture of... Looks like dimes looks and pennies. Like dimes, but I don't know that it actually <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't think they are, but it does yeah. look like our currency, actually. <laughs> well, you know, they, they do have weird superstitions over there. I mean, think of this. Shark fin soup. Pardon me? Shark fin soup. Shark fin soup, okay. It heals all this stuff and yeah. all these different things they want to kill in the world to have their superstitions. So this kind of makes this kind of makes sense, you know? Throwing coins in an engine brings good luck. Yeah. Mm. I should try that then. We should. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm just trying to work out who it brings good luck to. Is that the their competitors? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> good one. Good one. Um all right, quickly. Oh, you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to mention at the beginning, this is something I was going to uh, talk about. Uh, you know, we talk about your feedback that you send us, your support, your financial support, et cetera. I actually, uh, we have a uh, a snail mail PO box. The APG does. Uh, you can find that information in the uh, on the website. I think it's uh, PO box 2191, um, Roswell, Georgia 30077, I believe. Anyway, that information's on the website, and uh, Oliver's done this before. Oliver is uh, in Switzerland, Lucerne, and uh, he uh, has some family here, I believe, in the States. Uh, the uh, package came in from Austin, Texas, and he writes, Dear Captain Jeff, some Swiss chocolates again for you. He did that before. And uh, you and your crew, as long as there are some chocolates left. Uh, so I still enjoy the show, and it keeps me going further in my career. Thanks for uh, the effort you put into the show every week. Private pilot and sailplane student Oliver Faré, I guess, Farine, Farine, from Switzerland. Uh, so, so thank you, Oliver. And uh, right now, hang on. Ooh. I'm going to pull out my backpack. Uh oh, where'd they go? I, I swear I had them earlier. Uh-huh. They're in that melted puddle in the bottom. <laughs> oh, Here we go. Yay. So, Nick, I'm sorry that you were not able to share these with us, but uh, uh, let's see. This one's called uh, Cal- Calais, 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 Latte Milk, Milk Chocolate. Now uh, we got some dark. I'm going to keep that one for myself. And um, some uh, pure. Uh, Dana's already. <laughs> Eaten the first bar. Anyway, so here's proof that we actually received your your chocolates. Um, Oliver, thanks so much. Thank you. Really, that's awesome. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So. yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. <laughs> we'll all share. What's I'll that? save you one, Nick. Yeah, just, you just said that little... about that. Oh, you want a, uh, you want a picture? Uh, I know, I do. Is that what you're doing? 
Oh, okay. <laughs> the uh, the uh, live audience here is giving us some kind of uh, nonverbal uh, cues and communications. And I'm not sure. Oh, did you want him to uh, like tr- put that through the goalpost or something? No, oh, okay. Ah, okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so thank you very much for that, Oliver. So let's get back to the news. Uh, moving on. Moving on. How long have we been going here already? Forever. Okay. Don't worry about it. All right. Um, NASA. Sleeping. You don't. Yeah. I don't. NASA gives okay for a design of super quiet supersonic experimental airplane. And I believe I have a little bit audio from this. Let's take a listen. NASA has been working for decades, essentially, on looking at uh, technologies to take the boom out of boom. We'd like to have sonic thump or just sonic sound. And the idea is to design the airplane so that the shock waves that, that are produced in supersonic flight are arranged in such a way that you don't have a boom. You have a, uh, just kind of a general gradual pressure rise, which produces a quiet sound. So there are a number of challenges associated with supersonic travel in general. Uh, we want the airplanes to be environmentally friendly, so we want them to be quiet around the airport, and we also want them to have low emissions. NASA has worked a number of technologies which could reduce the noise of sonic boom. Right now we're doing the preliminary design. We call that activity Quest for quiet supersonic technology. So we've tested them in wind tunnels, but now the next phase is to take the technologies and test them in flight. So to do that, we're building an X-plane design and the eventual low-boom flight demonstration aircraft that represents the boom of a larger airplane. The idea is to prove the technology, uh, show how robust it is in, in a variety of atmospheric conditions, but ultimately to prove that the sound that's created is acceptable to people on the ground. NASA is conducting supersonic research with a lot of different organizations around the country. But primarily our role is, you know, getting the data for supersonic flight. One of the primary things we have to do initially is get the atmospheric data so we understand the effect of the atmosphere, real atmosphere, on the sonic boom. But then the real data for regulatory change required is just really taking measurements on the ground and then doing surveys of the population to see what the annoyance of those sonic, much quieter sonic booms are. It should sound like a thump, so it could be that people don't even notice the sonic boom, and that's what we want to that's really the, the data that we're talking about for regulatory change. So supersonics has uh, kind of been a dream for a long time. Cut your travel time in half. It's a good industry for the U.S. to be getting into. As subsonic commercial airplanes are being built worldwide now. Uh, we need some new markets, some new, new vehicles to uh, maintain our leadership in uh, commercial aviation. Okay, I'll put uh, this uh, a link to this article in the show notes if you want to read more about this. But they said that they've NASA says that they've cleared a significant milestone on the path to reviving supersonic passenger jet travel, and uh, we heard them talking about that in this um, the video about instead of a sonic boom, it's a sonic bump or thump. So that's what it says: sonic thump. And uh, at the same time that they're going to be out there. Uh, kind of gauging the annoyance factor of this. They're also going to be um, gauging the annoyance factor of the airline pilot guy show as well. Oh, <laughs> it's a, it's a, a secondary like measure. On to, like, a, you know, yeah. those bills they pass in Congress. Yeah. Bada yeah. bing, bada boom. Yeah. So uh, anyway. Oh, and I have a little beef with their little thing. Quiet supersonic technology or quest. Now tell me where it's Q U E S S T, but it's quiet. They Super just omitted the I. Uh, because okay. if you left it at, with Q-U-I, it'd be keist. Yeah, I say. Like, no. Fail. Fine. Yeah. Sorry. Semantics. Worked too hard with that one. 
Anyway. Well, how do you spell Qantas? Uh, Q-A-N-T-A-S. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they can get away with anything nowadays. <laughs> but that's actually what, an acronym or, a, or an initialization or whatever they call it? I guess it's not really an acronym, but uh, for uh, what does that stand for? Something Queensland and yeah, transport. Air tra- and what, what about the end? Northern, Northwestern. Ter- <laughs> we have no Northern idea. Territory. <laughs> Northern uh, territories. Uh, I'm sure somebody in the chat room right now is yelling us yeah, and typing in all Q-A- caps. Queensland, Queensland and NT, Northern Territories, Q-A-N-T, Air Service. A-S. Air Service. Oh, very good. Bing. We have I was a- going to say, Glenn, Tow- Tow- well, Glenn Towler probably knows that one. Well, you're going to try to say that, but you are not successful. Well, that's my accent. <laughs> okay. Towler. Towler. All right. Moving on. Who cares about this sonic boom stuff? Sonic thump. Um, let's see. Oh, Nick will enjoy this one. Um, we've talked about Airbus is experiencing this kind of a problem with iced up pitot tubes. Well, it turns out that uh, a 787 Dreamliner made by Boeing with an E uh, was uh, operated by Jetstar Airways. They experienced an erratic airspeed incident in December of 2015, so almost a couple of years ago. The changes are detailed in a report written uh, by the Australian Transport Safety Bureau, ATSB, the incident occurred when the aircraft en route from Melbourne to Singapore was cruising at 40,000 feet, approximately four hours into the eight-hour flight. It flew through an area of high ice water content, again, ice crystals, that caused temporary blockage to all three of its pitot tubes. Boeing determined in an invalid airspeed existed by comparing the results among the pitot tubes with an independently calculated airspeed approximation based on angle of attack and inertial data. Uh, let's see. Although a previous airworthiness directive required crews to avoid ice crystal icing to prevent engine issues, the crew told investigators that the aircraft was too close to the precipitation to maneuver around it once the area appeared on the airborne radar. Due to the ice, the measured airspeed dropped approximately 250 knots to less than 50 knots in less than five seconds. This generated several error messages in the cockpit. Yeah, I'd say so and caused the flight control mode to revert to secondary mode. The erroneous airspeed stopped the uh, after approximately 17 seconds, but pilots were forced to continue flying in the secondary mode, which does not allow for use of the autopilot and multiple other features, including envelope protection and gust suppression. The reversion in this case could only be reset on the ground. Faced with flying without an autopilot for another four hours. Aww. Yeah. The crew decided to dump fuel and land in Darwin, Australia, where they have some very nice topless beaches. As a result of the How incident, do you know that? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just reading the article. Oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't in the article. Was it? <laughs> okay. uh, as a result of the incident, the ATSB uh, said Boeing made two changes to the flight control software. One involves increasing the time required for a no computed data state, which occurred when all three pitot tubes provided faulty information. This causes the transition into secondary mode. The other limits the rate at which elevator fuel reduces as airspeed drops, a change meant to help pilots avoid large control wheel inputs in response to perceived changes in airspeed. Uh, so anyway, basically, they just kind of tweaked the software to keep from this from happening again. But it, it's very, very suspiciously similar to other events. And most of these um, uh, have been publicly uh, talked about uh, in, in the Airbus world. Uh, but uh, apparently... Uh, the Airbus is not the only one that's susceptible to this kind of thing. What do you think, Nick? 
Yeah, it looks a similar sort of thing, Jeff. And uh, I think the big difference here was the uh, pilots on board. I don't know exactly what they did, but uh, they obviously didn't over-control the airplane like uh, the very junior Airbus pilot uh, that was actually hand-flying the uh, Air France aircraft did, uh, yep. which got them into their appalling situation from which they never recovered. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that not every pilot out there is as uh, badly trained, but um, it sounds to me like the aircraft is just as susceptible uh, and had a very similar result in uh, computer changeovers to that that the A330 had. So, uh, and in fact, you mentioned the the pilot's actions. The uh, the uh, Australian transportation uh, was the ATSB stand for again Safety Board um, praised the crew's response to the problem, noting that the pilots quote did not make any large changes to the control inputs landed and handled the aircraft according to the airspeed unreliable checklist by setting a pitch angle and thrust level that would produce a desired airspeed regardless of the pitot readings control performance two words to live by Set. yeah but having said that after the air france incident if there's a commercial pilot out there who uh hasn't heard of it and doesn't know what to do I would be very surprised. He must have had his head under a brick or in the sand or something. I'm sorry. What are you supposed to do? <laughs> okay. Oh there will be remedial training later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, this was uh, sent in by Pilot Pip, and also I received this from our Airline Pilots Association, the uh, uh, association representing the pilots of Acme Air and others here in the country. Um, there is a uh, – and this – it's kind of a moot point unless you happen to if you're watching this as we're recording the show because I believe tomorrow the 30th of January uh, this or June uh, June January I don't know why I just keep saying January where where am I uh, Earth welcome oh yes. thank you what are we doing at this table with microphones um, yes uh, the 30th of June Friday thank you very much see the love I get from my co-host you're wearing shorts and a t-shirt yeah okay. He's, um, he's stuck down under all these news stories about Australia. That's true. It is uh, kind of yeah. chilly down there. It is. It's okay. winter, I think. Anyway, um, there is a survey. If you're listening right now, uh, you need to go there right now and to, uh, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you the link because it's a very long URL and it's a lot of French. Uh, yeah, but basically it's a ATC communications survey regarding uh, something that they're calling common single language use at uh, several of the airports in France, whether or not we as licensed pilots think it's important to speak a common language so we can all understand what's happening around these airports. And you know how I feel about that. And, uh, and Pip, uh, feels the same way. And, uh, they kind of, uh, Pip said like they kind of kept this on the lowdown and really didn't publicize this very much. I think hoping to get the desired result from this survey and he's saying you know try to t tell everybody out there i put a tweet out yesterday hoping that some of us uh could could go over there and, and complete the survey it, it, but it's see it asked me i clicked on the link and it asked me a question it's a security question and i don't understand the question it says two plus 30 equals that's math 32 oh okay <laughs> That's just all right. <laughs> Never mind. So sad. It, it does, however, ask for your uh, your license number. 
Yeah. So have that. It does, however, ask for your license number. So if you are going to complete the survey, you need yeah, to they want to make any. sure that everybody's legitimate yeah, when they're, they don't want a bunch of. Yeah. Did somebody turn the heat on in here? <laughs> the, yeah. It feels like the heat is on. You can just yeah. Sorry. Doesn't it? I feel great. Now. Feel warm air. You like? Oh, okay. Why don't we just turn just, the whole thing off? There we go. Sorry, that's what I thought we were doing. That's okay. That's perfect. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm thinking, God, this feels like somebody turned the fireplace on or something. Okay. Uh, my, toes, my toes are still freezing. Still <laughs> somebody get, get Steph a blanket. I know. Okay. All right. That's enough of this. I think it's now time for the best part of the show, which, of course, is your feedback. And uh, let's start with Mississippi Matt. He said, uh, let's see, why am I not seeing? Oh, he said, this is time-sensitive feedback. For those who may be interested, the P-51 Berlin Express will be making a transatlantic flight from Texas to Duxford, England, starting today, June 28th. I guess that was yesterday. Through July 4th, they will be recreating the route taken in 1942. Anyone will be able to follow its progress at the link below via a GPS tracking device. And I'll put the uh, link to this in the show notes. And the Berlin Express P-51B Mustang achieved legendary status in an epic World War II dogfight in Paris. We talked about this on the show, I don't know, sometime last year. Uh, in 1944, piloted by an American Bill Overstreet, who flew the aircraft under the Eiffel Tower in hot pursuit of a German fighter, Overstreet eventually downed the German Messerschmitt uh, BF-109G, and uh, eluded heavy enemy fire while escaping the battle with his P-51B Mustang Berlin Express intact. So apparently they're recreating this whole thing. I don't think they're going to actually recreate the part where they actually fly or he flew under the Eiffel Tower, although I'd really like to see I'd that. I'd love to see that. Yeah. That would be cool. Uh, looks like it starts in uh, Texas and ends in uh, at the Duxford Airfield on July 4th, where Dan Friedkin will then pilot it in the Flying Legends Air Show on the right wing alongside his longtime horseman flight teammates Stephen Hinton and Ed Shipley on July 8th and 9th. So there you go, Mississippi Matt. We got that out there for those who want to follow the progress of uh, this flight, its journey across the world. Last I checked, it was in... Uh, um Oh my God! I looked at it this morning. Don't oh, the, it's just in New York. It's in, it was in New York State. Dan, I'm not sure the age in your case is really the problem. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No, he's look. He's he looks hurt. I'm just kidding around. No, I'm trying to figure out why it says. What is your mother language? <laughs> Are you it's doing the survey right now? Question, Dana. It says, what is your mother language? Dana, we're doing the show right now. You're not supposed to be doing the uh, survey. <laughs> no, I'm, you know. I'm, okay, I'm, yeah. I'd say English. <laughs> what if i put mf or <laughs> okay uh, let's see moving on um hello my name is brigham anderson i'm taking an aviation class in college and want to become an airline pilot one day what if anything would you have done in college differently what has your career path been like well, i really can't say everything that i wish i'd had done differently because uh, i don't want to incriminate myself but um I'd say that uh, the one thing that just came off the top of my head was 
Maybe, you know, I, I, many of you know that I'm, um, I'm an amateur musician and I was actually offered some scholarship, music scholarships to go to some really good music schools. I turned them down because I thought that to become a pilot, you had to like take something that was technically oriented, you know, like an engineering kind of a degree or whatever, you know, science, uh, math, whatever. And um, now, now that I look back, it, it really wouldn't have made any difference at all as long as I had a degree, uh, even if it was in, as we always like to say, basket weaving. I don't really think there's a degree in basket weaving. But uh, anyway, I think that uh, that would that might be something that I might do differently. Just uh, go back and uh, get a degree in music and, and had a had a much different experience in college. Yeah, and there's a I mean, there's a lot of professions where that holds true as well. Um, a lot of professions out there will either have secondary training, you know, unless you're going into something that's business or where you're really going to use whatever it is that you're doing in college to come out and directly apply that to your career. Um, there's a lot of careers out there that don't have that requirement. They just want to see that you've obtained a, a higher education degree. So you should do it in something that you enjoy and are passionate about. Um, you know, and if you need additional training for whatever the job is after the fact, that will probably be there when you're done. Regardless. Nick, sure. do you have any um, basket weaving? Basket, basket weaving. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that's yeah, what. Yeah, I can basket weave uh, with the best of them. Uh, <laughs> I have no uh, university background whatsoever. Oh, there you the go. The only thing I'm capable of doing is uh, flying an airplane. So uh, if I hadn't been able to do that, um, God knows what I would have ended up doing. So uh, I didn't have uh, any second string to my bow. I just went for it, and luckily I you know, got the job I wanted. So Yeah, I mean, we all know that that – those of us who do this job as a career know that you know having a college degree really the only requirement for it is the company that you're you're applying to and to try to differentiate yourself with somebody else they just kind of use it as a differentiator or discriminator uh but uh you know a college degree certainly is not a necessity for operating airplanes and the kind of the kind of job that we do for a living yeah, but in, in today's day and age, uh, without a college degree, uh, you know, I've got a buddy of mine that's at the regional level, and he has been unsuccessful in uh, getting on with a major because right. of the fact he doesn't have the college degree. So, I mean, the actual job does not require it, no. but but getting hired by a company does. Sure. It's like the old box checking, I guess. It is, and I guess it's, it's they're, they're looking at your commitment, a level commitment yeah. to be able to get through a program. Right. You know, because – you know, let's face it. When we go through a training program, it's it's no uh, no less than a, a fire hose effect. You mm-hmm. have to learn a lot in a matter of a couple of weeks. Yeah. So they want to see that you're you're able to in four years go through a a college program, succeed, and, and be able to graduate. You know, I can answer that as far as uh, you know my college experience. Um, I do have a re- actually do have a true regret. Um, and that was that I didn't go full forward with the flying portion of my college degree. I went to school for aviation, um, and I switched to management, uh, aviation management, because I didn't think uh, I had what it took to become a pilot. And I didn't have the money to put myself all the way through school. I worked four jobs. And in order to get through school, I actually had to change to management because I couldn't afford the flying portion portion of it. So, you know, in hindsight, if 2020, you know, I would have been a little smarter with the the loans and and put uh, taking a little more uh, money out in order to finish my flying and get through it because, uh, you know, I'm about eight years behind most of my contemporaries. 
But the important thing was for me to get the four-year degree. I mean, (laughs) that was the most important thing, and I'm very thankful that I was able to do that. And I made a smart choice at the time, and that was that I couldn't afford the flying. So it was either drop out and try to save some money and continue with, with, with the college degree down the road, and who knows if I ever would have come back. Right. And instead, I went ahead, took the aviation management degree, which only required my private pilot at the time, got that done, and, and graduated with a four-year college degree, which later on down the road enabled me to you know, get on with ACME. And I think that's a great story of being persistent of, you know, your dreams and your goals and what you want to do. You know, there's different ways to get to the same end point um, and not everyone's going to take the same path. And for some people that might be because of financial constraints. For some people it might be because of outside interests. Um, But, you know, if you have an end point in mind, you can continue to work towards that no matter what. Yeah. I mean, it it takes dedication Mm -hmm. and it's important to, to make, good decisions, but you can't make all the right decisions. I mean, at, at 20, 18, 20 years old, you're only so mature. You, you know, you can only see so far down the line. You know, ever since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, I've always known that my desire and my dream was always to be a pilot for an airline. That's what I've always wanted to do. And the military option wasn't there for me because, well, when I was trying to get into the military back in the, you know, early 90s, you know, the administration was cutting back and there were no flying slots. They're trying to get rid of military pilots like it's nobody's business. And honestly, I mean, I was in a college fraternity that we're all, we're all aviators, aviation fraternity. And only four or five of us through course of six or seven years ever got a military appointment. Yeah, as a pilot. So it just shows you it was very, very competitive, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And. I made some good choices. I made some bad choices, but you want to know what? At the end of the day, I mean, you live for tomorrow because you learn from yesterday. You learn from your mistakes. And when you're going through college, I don't care who you are, you're going to make mistakes. And you're not always going to make the right decision. And we all have regrets in life. But ultimately, as long as you stay the course, work towards your goals, you get there. And I'm an example of that. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, with that, thank you for that question, by the way, Brigham, and good luck with your college uh, experience, and I hope that helped. And now let's do the very, very popular Plain Tales segment of the show. Take it away, old pilot. The old pilot's Plain Tales, turning oceans into ponds. Every day, around 2,500 aircraft make the journey across the Atlantic Ocean from the Americas to Europe or back again. In 2015, 44 million transatlantic passenger seats were offered to let people safely complete a flight that was, only 90 years ago, considered impossible. They watch the latest movies or beaver away at their laptops, perhaps unaware that beneath them, under the waves, lie the airmen that tried and failed before them. When we think of the first transatlantic flight, a name that often springs to mind is that of Charles Lindbergh, but, as we will discover, he was far from the first. 
The idea of linking the two land masses of America and Europe by air first came with the advent of the balloon. In 1859, John Wise, perhaps unwisely, built an enormous balloon named Atlantic. On his crossing attempt, the flight lasted less than a day when he crash-landed in Henderson, New York. It was after the First World War when advances in flight made the possibility of a successful crossing realistic. In 1913, the Daily Mail newspaper offered a prize of £10,000 sterling, which is well over $1 million in today's money, to the aviator who shall first cross the Atlantic in an aeroplane in flight from any point in the United States of America, Canada or Newfoundland and any point in Great Britain or Ireland in 72 continuous hours. It was the Curtis Aircraft and Motor Company who first achieved a crossing of sorts, but this was not a serious attempt to win the Daily Mail prize, as it was a long way from adhering to the rules of the competition. Glenn Curtis had combined his skills with those of the English naval officer John Port. The 1914 flying boat America that they produced was further modified by port into the Felixstowe flying boat, which had more powerful engines, a longer range, a better hull and improved handling. He shared his improvements with Curtis, who built the aircraft under licence and then sold them to the US government. In May 1919, the US Navy started a transatlantic expedition, using these aircraft as a demonstration of its capabilities. Initially, three aircraft, NC-1, NC-3 and NC-4, set off from Naval Air Station Rockaway in Queens. NC-2 had already been cannibalised for spares before they even left New York, on their journey to Trepassey, Newfoundland. There they met their seaplane tender, the USS Aroostook, which prepared them for their transatlantic flight, before setting sail for England to meet them on the completion of their journey. Across the Atlantic, at about 50-mile intervals, stretching all the way to the Azores, were 22 naval ships, mainly destroyers, which provided navigation assistance by shining searchlights into the sky and firing bright star shells. The three aircraft departed, and after a flight of over 15 hours, NC-4 arrived amongst the islands of the Azores. On the way, both NC-1 and 3 were forced to land on the water because of poor visibility and mechanical problems. NC-1 was damaged when it landed and eventually it sank. NC-3 could not get airborne again and taxied 200 miles across the open ocean to join NC-4 at the midway point. A few days later, NC-4 started the leg to Lisbon, but turned back with mechanical problems. After a long wait for spares, it tried again, and after overflying another chain of warships laid out along its route, it successfully landed in Lisbon Harbour. 
On the 31st of May, the NC4 and its crew, Reed, Hinton, Stone, Bress, Rhodes and Rod, arrived in London, having taken 23 days to get from Newfoundland to London. E.H. Howard should have been amongst them, but he was replaced, having lost his hand to a running propeller. This was the first aircraft of any kind to cross the Atlantic, and, since it started its journey in Massachusetts, it also became the first to fly from the mainland of the United States to mainland Europe. This enormous undertaking, which involved four aircraft and a total of 53 US warships, was, however, soon to be eclipsed by two men in an old World War I bomber. To call the Vickers Vimy an old bomber is a little unfair, as it was produced quite late in the war and never actually saw combat. What's more, for its time, it was a very capable machine. An RFC pilot during the war, Alcock was a prisoner when the engines of his Handley Page bomber failed, and during his time of incarceration, he resolved to attempt to win the Daily Mail prize. Vickers were considering entering a Vimy into the competition, and when Alcock approached them as a pilot, they took him on. Soon after, Brown, another downed RSC pilot who had studied long-range navigation, joined the team. They set to modifying an aircraft, replacing the bomb racks with extra fuel tanks, before breaking it down to be shipped to St. John's, Newfoundland. Other teams had tried and failed, including Sopwith with their aircraft, the Sopwith Atlantic, which crashed during the crossing when their engine overheated. When Alcock and Brown arrived, they discovered that they weren't the only team at St. John's. Admiral Mark Kerr was there with Handley Page, who were in the final stages of testing their machine. Kerr was determined not to take off until the aircraft was in perfect condition, so the Vickers boys quickly assembled their twin-engine biplane, and at 1.45pm on the 14th of June 1919, whilst Handley Page were conducting yet another test, they took off. With their modified Rolls-Royce Eagle 360 horsepower engines straining under the weight, they struggled to get airborne from the rough field, barely missing the treetops. Setting course, they left the land behind them, and soon problems began to beset their flight. Their wind-powered generator failed, depriving them of their radio, their intercom, and the heating for their primitive open cockpit. Shortly afterwards, an exhaust pipe burst, creating a dreadfully loud bellowing noise, which made conversation all but impossible. By 5pm, they had entered thick fog, which gave them two major problems. Without gyroscopic instruments, they had no way of telling which way was up, and it was impossible for Brown to use his sextant for navigation. Twice, Alcock entered spiral descents, which nearly ended up in the drink, and he struggled to regain control, fighting the aircraft's nose-heavy trim. It was become increasingly hard to keep the nose up, as the fuel was consumed since the trimmer had failed some time previously, 
and Alcock had to continually pull against the Vimy's tendency to dive into the water. Just after midnight, Brown got a glimpse of some stars and was able to confirm that they were on course. The night was long and cold for them, particularly as their electrically heated suits had failed and all they had was their coffee, spiked with whiskey, for comfort. Early in the morning they flew into a snowstorm and soon they were drenched and freezing, whilst their instruments iced up. Eventually the ice covered the air intake of one of the engines. Alcock decided to shut the engine down before the misfiring could destroy it. Descending into warmer air, the duo hoped the ice would melt before they hit the water. At around 500 feet, they broke into clear air and were able to restart the engine. Not long after sunrise, the Irish coast came into view, and with their hearts full of cheer, they circled, looking for a good landing place. The lovely, flat, green field that they chose turned out to be an Irish bog near Clifton in County Galway, and although the wheels dug in, standing their faithful Vimy on its nose, they were both unharmed. After a flight of 15 hours and 57 minutes, they had become heroes, and in addition to winning the Daily Mail prize, the crew received 2,000 guineas from the Ardath Tobacco Company and £1,000 from Lawrence Phillips for being the first British subjects to fly across the Atlantic. A few days later, they were both knighted by King George V. As well as flying their aircraft across the ocean, they also carried a small amount of mail. One of the letters was written by Alcock himself to his sister Elsie. It read, My dear Elsie, just a hurried line before I start. This letter will travel with me in the official mailbag, the first mail to be carried over the Atlantic. Love to all, your loving brother, Jack. After the completion of the flight, Vickers rebuilt the Vimy, which is now located in the Science Museum in London. Various original components, however, are found elsewhere. One of the propellers was given to Brown, who hung it in his office for years, before it was given to the RAF College Cranwell. From there it went to the RAF Careers Office in Hoburn, but now apparently it is used as a ceiling fan in Luigi Malone's restaurant in Cork, Ireland. The other was on display in the Transatlantic Terminal 3 at Heathrow, but is now part of a mural in the Brooklands Aircraft Museum. A mere month after Alcock and Brown crawled from their freezing cockpit buried in an Irish bog, the Pullum Pig was also about to enter the history books. Better known as the R-34, the Pig was an airship based at RAF Pullum, which seemed to attract more than her fair share of nicknames being called by her crew, Tiny. She was based on a German Zeppelin L-33, which was captured nearly intact after being brought down on British soil during the First World War. She made her first flight in March 1919 and soon after completed an endurance flight of 56 hours, 
so it was decided to attempt the first transatlantic return flight under the command of Major George Scott. When he took charge of his new rigid airship at East Fortune in Remfrusia, Scott had been ordered to prepare for a voyage to the United States of America, and he might have beaten Alcock and Brown to the distinction of making the first non-stop flight, but his craft was damaged during trials which delayed its departure. It was in the early hours of the 2nd of July 1919 when Scott and his crew departed. On board the cramped accommodation was a small crew which included Brigadier General Edward Maitland and Zachary Lansdowne as representatives of the U.S. Navy. William Ballantyne, one of the crew members scheduled to stay behind to save weight, stowed away with the crew's mascot, a small tabby cat called Whoopsie. They emerged late on the first day, too late to be dropped off. Never having been designed as a passenger carrier, hammocks were slung across the keel walkway and hot food was prepared using a plate welded to an engine exhaust pipe. The R-34 arrived at Mineola on Long Island after 108 hours of flight and with our fuel almost exhausted. As the greeting party had no experience of handling a large airship, Major Pritchard jumped by parachute to instruct them, thereby becoming the first person to ever reach American soil from Europe by air. After eight days, an uneventful return flight was made, which took only 75 hours, but gave the Pullum Pig the honour of being the first aircraft to make a return journey. After a successful career as an airship commander, Scott was aboard the last fateful flight of the R-101, recently covered in a plane tale, that ended in tragedy when the craft struck high ground in a storm over France and was destroyed. Before the flight, Scott had asked a friend to keep an eye on his pregnant wife, and described the R-101 as an old ragbag that was never going to make it. The Ortig Prize was a reward offered by a New York hotel owner to the first aviator of an allied country to fly non-stop from New York to Paris. The offer was a substantial $25,000, and it gave rise to considerable competition amongst those aircraft designers and pilots who thought it might be possible. The first serious attempt was made by René Fonck, backed by Igor Sikorsky, who built a sleek trimotor biplane for the attempt. Having been fueled the previous night, when the aircraft was weighed before its attempt, the S-35 was found to be 4,000 pounds, that's nearly two metric tons, overweight. Despite this, the crew of four attempted to take off from Roosevelt Field in New York. But as the aircraft accelerated, the landing gear broke and the aircraft plunged down a slope at the end of the runway, bursting into flames. The pilots survived, but their radio operator and engineer both died. Other attempts ended up in disaster when American Legion crashed on a test flight, killing both pilots. Charles Nungesser, 
a First World War ace who flew in the movie The Dawn Patrol, teamed up with François Colli and took off from Le Bourget Airport near Paris. In their craft, l'USU Blanc, the White Bird, the Levasseur PL-8 biplane, they were sighted heading past Ireland, but they never arrived at their destination. Mystery surrounds their disappearance, but a recently discovered U.S. Coast Guard telegram tells that wreckage of a white aircraft was seen some 200 miles off the coast of New York in August 1927. Finally, a latecomer to the competition, Charles Lindbergh, a previously unheard-of airmail pilot. In his purpose-built Ryan monoplane, the spirit of St. Louis, got airborne from a wet and muddy Roosevelt field, which is now a shopping mall. He cleared the telephone lines at the end of the runway by about 25 feet, with his right whirlwind radial engine beating steadily, he climbed slowly as he started a flight that was to last 33 and a half hours. Like Alcock and Brown before him, he faced many challenges. At times he was forced to skim the waves, only 10 feet above them, and then climb to get over storm clouds 10,000 feet high. He fought icing and flew blind on his instruments for hours, all while striving to stay awake for the long flight. When he finally saw Le Bourget Airport, he didn't recognize it, because thousands of car lights surrounded the field as the people of Paris came to see his arrival. On landing, a crowd of nearly 150,000 stormed across the airfield, dragging him from the cockpit and carrying him aloft for nearly an hour. His place in history was assured. However, in a speech to the crowd welcoming him, he modestly said that, Alcock and Brown showed me the way. Another fascinating plane tales by the old pilot. We know him as Captain Nick. Captain Nick, awesome. Uh, you still there? Nick. He's gone. Oh. Yeah. He quit for the night. It's late. It's oh, past his bedtime. It is very late over there. He had to go watch watch sheep. Okay, well, we're we're sad that you're not you're not with us. At least uh, he, he's with us here in the world, of course, but uh, not with us on the show tonight. So, uh, thanks for hanging in there. I know it was very late for you, and you got a lot planned for tomorrow. Uh, like especially uh, that special guest that you're mm-hmm. uh, entertaining and uh, hosting uh, tomorrow, uh, Liz Piper. So, uh, anyway, another great plain tales as always. Thank you very much for putting in the time and uh, effort that you do on those. Okay. Um, let's quickly move on to, you know, what was it last week or the week before last where the Southwest Southwestern United Southwest. States, Southwestern United faith. <laughs> you sound like I me now. Yeah, maybe I'm just I'm hanging around you for so long. Already, I'm rubbing yeah. off on you. Oh, the Boston yeah. accent. Yeah. It's a Boston That's accent. That's what she said. Um, so, I think it was uh, some time ago <laughs> here in our country, there was a huge heat wave in the southwestern United States, and uh, I'm sure you heard about it in the news, where the 
Phoenix uh, International Airport had to shut down or a lot of the aer- airlines stopped flying because it was just too dang hot. Sky Haba. Yeah, Sky Haba. Phoenix Sky Haba. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's the way they pronounce Sky it there, though. Okay. Let's not have an argument about how you pronounce harbor. We're here first. The rest of the country has snakes. I'm just saying. Okay. So, um, Mariana wrote in, so I can't reason why light planes can't take off in thinner air, but larger planes can. Why is this? I would think the opposite. And what about biz jets and very light, say, two to four seat general aviation airplanes? Again, thanks from Mariana. Um, and then she included a link to the story about Phoenix flights canceled because it's too hot for planes. Now, um, I want to say something. Uh, one of the brand new podcasts out there, Max Trescott, uh, one of the hosts of the Airplane Geeks podcast, uh, started his own show called um, Aviation News Talk Podcast, I believe is the correct name for that. And it's an awesome show. You should subscribe to it and listen to it. I mean, again, so many great, great uh, podcasts out there. Uh, his last show, or at least the last one, he may have put out a new one since I listened to it, but just a couple of days ago I was listening to it. Uh, he talks uh, in great detail about density altitude and how to, um, you know, the, the conditions that affect mm-hmm. density altitude and why density altitude is such a big deal. And he talked about hot weather flying and, again, touched upon this whole thing with the airlines canceling flights in Phoenix and why that is. And also he talks about uh, how you as a pilot, his show is most uh, focused on general aviation, Uh, you, the general aviation pilot, how to keep cool when things are extremely hot. And he has some great tips there. So, again, highly recommend Max Trescott's Aviation News Talk podcast. But uh, do you have anything to say regarding? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we can talk about, I mean, just briefly. And, you know, I didn't listen to Max's most recent podcast yet, but um, I'll just cover it briefly. And if you have more questions about it, it sounds like he covers it in great detail. But basically, when when it's warm outside, um, part of what we um, I won't get into all the the calculations to figure things out, because I don't know if I know the actual calculation off the top of my head. But basically, as the air becomes warmer, it becomes less dense. So the way the airplane is going to behave is is as is as if it's at a higher altitude. Um, so the warmer it gets, um, the density altitude becomes higher. And they'll actually report that to you on some of the um, weather broadcasts um, as you're listening to that. So you may be at a, you know, our local airport is at 700 feet or so. And on a hot summer day at the very end of the uh, weather recording, it'll say density altitude 3,295. So what that means is that your aircraft on the ground is going to behave as if it's at an altitude of 3,000 something feet, even though the actual altitude is 700 feet. So you're going to have less performance out of your aircraft. Um, You know, Mariana asked, why is it more difficult for smaller aircraft versus larger aircraft? And some of that comes down to the amount of power you have available. Mm -hmm. So if you have a smaller aircraft with a smaller engine, less horsepower available, all of a sudden it's a a hot day, your airplane is going to behave as if it's at a higher altitude. You're not going to have the same performance to be able to, you know, clear obstacles, climb as quickly, all of that comes into play. Well, and one thing there is that, you know, comparing a piston airplane 
with a prop compared exactly. to a jet airplane, and the prop is not nearly as not efficient the as the a jet. So exactly. Continue. Not, I'm sorry. Very very valid point. Um, and then you take into account someplace like Phoenix, which is already at about 2,000 feet mm-hmm. above sea level, so it's not sea level. And some of the surrounding areas around Phoenix are even higher. So you, you take all of that into account, and and very quickly you can run out of available performance in the aircraft to you know get off the runway safely. All of those types of things, or climb you know over a, a obstacle if you need to you know back in the 90s when i was flying uh, as a co-pilot on the 727 uh, we ran into this uh, at least one time twice maybe that i can remember and back then it was not necessarily the actual actual performance of the airplane not being able to operate and take off out of phoenix sky harbor but it was the fact that the uh hub uh, the certification of the airplane went to a certain level, the tables, mm-hmm. and the the top of the table was like 120 degrees. And so when the temperature went above that, we couldn't legally take off, because not because the airplane couldn't take off, it was that we didn't have the data to validate right. our takeoff. I think that was and, the and, issue here in a lot of these cases, correct? Oh, Where, okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that <clears throat> the aircraft wouldn't do it, but at least for a few of the aircraft, it's that the performance data don't go up that high in temperature so you can't make those calculations well and and that's exactly correct and what it is is that there's this thing called the faa (laughs) and if the aircraft the faaa faa federal aviation administration yes you forgot about this this what's on your license and your medical and license license you have oh no they took that away that's right i forgot about that (laughs) so yeah captain nick is no no we can um so you know in, in reality um the FAA, if you don't have the the performance or the certification, well, you're outside the envelope of the aircraft, and thus you can't operate the aircraft. You know, and it's interesting. Most most parameters for aircraft are are, are established through testing, flight testing. So stall characteristics, max altitude, all those things are really through test flight. I'm not sure about temperature because. It's very hard to, you know, duplicate those temperatures. So I'm, I'm willing to bet, and this is just me rolling the dice on the table, but I'm willing to bet that it's all based on calculations versus actual performance. So, you know, just like when we get on the aircraft and the FAA says a average passenger, and I forget what the weight is these days, but was it one 200, depending on the summertime is like 180 or 190 and then the winter is 200. Yeah. Right. If I get on the airplane, I can assure you I don't fit in that 190 category. So they're using averages and, and, you know, every time we get, we take an aircraft off based on the averages. Well, it's Dana and I together divided by two and it you've would got probably your- the average, right? So <laughs> exactly. You, you do the math. I don't know. <laughs> do the math on that one. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so they're using the averages and, and, you know, when, when we're close to max takeoff weight, and people bring on all these bags, the handbags, they roll roller boards, and you run out of room, roll, roller boards, so check bags end up getting counted as weight. Well, what people f- forget about is that the 190 pounds includes your carry-on bag, which a roller board on average probably weighs 40-ish pounds, maybe what? 30. What are people bringing in their luggage? 35. Well, I know mine weighs I mean, with all Jeff's stuff, I'm sure he's well over I'm his. Way over. <laughs> so, so you've got a plane full of, um, we'll just call them more average Americans who are all podcasters. Above average. Above average. <laughs> more average. So, I mean, you, 
you know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, so really, my point is, is that it's all law of averages. And so when they're looking at the numbers, when it's really hot outside, it's just a law of averages. And so every time we take to the sky, we're looking at a law of averages. You know, let's say max takeoff weights 160,000 pounds. Well, it's a law of averages. So we may or may not be 160, might be at 162 or 63, but it's based on that average. So they say that we're really 158. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it's, uh, I, I'm pretty certain that those numbers for the, for the temperature, um, are based on, um, calculations. And one thing I want to, you know, you talk about density altitude, um, uh, for, to put in layman's terms, the density in per cubic foot of air when it's cold out and you know you notice when you're outside and it's cold and it's harder to breathe it's because the air is very dense and the particles are very very close to each other because they move slower and they move slower they're not excited whereas if you have uh very warm air the air is less dense because the particles are moving all over the place very excited and thus it's not as it's kind of comparing salt water to fresh water. That's a good, a good, good analogy. analogy. Sure. You know, in, 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 in fresh water, you sink. In salt water, you float. So it's much more dense water. It just, it's just kind of the difference between. It's physics. Physics. Science. 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 <laughs> wait, wait, it was my Albert Einstein here. <laughs> so, um, so. We this is kind of um, a companion to the super super hot weather we had in the southwest. I think the temperatures were up what forty five fifty degrees Celsius, um, like yeah, over it was like fifty two, yeah. something yeah. like that. So uh, one hundred and twenty. Sean writes one. in. He says, uh, "Hi all. Perhaps Captain Nick can comment on this one. Well, perhaps oh, not because sorry. he's not here. But we're going to do this anyway." I was perusing the newspapers this morning and found this article in the Evening Standard about uh, the UK's recent heat wave. And we're talking about uh, temperatures uh, above 30 degrees, which is 86 degrees Fahrenheit. That's their heat wave. Um, we passed that today here in Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah. 93 or something. Of interest to me was this sentence. Fire engines were deployed to cool down runways and taxiways at Gatwick, described by an airport spokesman as standard practice in these hot conditions, which made me wonder, what the heck do you make your tarmac out of in the UK? Ice? Sugar? Now. It turns out that we actually have a microphone on the tarmac at Gatwick, and uh, we we have a recording. It got so darn hot there. I'm melting, melting! Oh, what a world, what a world! Oh man, the tarmac is is melting. <laughs> I feel so bad. <laughs> it's, it's tragic. It's a sad situation, really. But you know, it, when when I read this. I was wondering if, if, and of course, Nick not being here, he can't, you know, he would probably know, but I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised if that tarmac is asphalt because asphalt and heat tends to deform, especially when you put it under heavy weight and heavy load. So if you, if it's hot and the asphalt, you know, you, you where, where's that we fly into uh, that, that has that <clears throat> asphalt that we get into those Holes. Yeah, uh, I was just going to talk about that. Um, Washington D.C. used to be yes. extremely bad about the uh, asphalt taxiways, uh, and if you're you're just crawling along and it's a hot day, and you get to the point where you add power to like start moving and 
and you're not moving and you're adding more power and more power. And it's almost like you, you get to a point where you cannot add enough power to get out of the hole that your landing gear has basically sunk into in the, uh, in the asphalt. They've, they've uh, reinforced their taxiways since then, but this used to happen quite, quite often about 15 to 20 years ago in Washington. Maybe it still does. It has not happened to me recently, but um, LaGuardia was another place. Another that, place. Uh, well, I just, and I just thought of the place I was thinking about, Nash, Na, um, Nassau, Bahamas. Oh. You pull into the gate that we're always in, which is always the the Mad Dog product, and they have, you can see the indentations. You just in like asphalt. slide into the spot and it's like, you just, you just, you can feel the airplane settle in. It's just before, you don't even have to set the parking brake. I mean, you just, you settle into that point and, and it's, you, you, you don't move. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, that would just be my guess. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, concrete I'm sure obviously what... doesn't have the problem. Right. But asphalt, you know, it, it, and underweight will, will conform to the, the weight that's on top of it. What is asphalt? I don't know. I was going to ask Dan the same way. <laughs> asphalt. There asphalt. we go. <laughs> Leave the Boston boy alone. <laughs> oh, it's fun. It's, it's, oh, never mind. Okay. Although I will eat on the flip side of the coin. Um, you know, here in the South, we have problems with the opposite, you know, climate conditions. So if there's snow and ice oh, yeah. and cold temperatures, it's just... It doesn't even have to be that cold or that snowy. It's definitely not cold in this room. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) Well, I don't know who. It depends on who you ask. Are you still cold? No, I'm perfect right now. Oh, okay. She's perfect. (laughs) And Dana is sweating up a storm. (laughs) Oh, oh well. Oh, geez. A little bit country, a little bit rock and roll, right? Okay. And many of you probably have no idea what I'm talking about there. Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's see how we do with time here. Um, I think we have time to talk about ATC privatization. Yes, we should do that. Okay. Uh, We have two pieces of audio feedback uh, sent in, one from Jim Howard and one from Hillel. And uh, let's start with uh, Jim because he sent his in first. Hello, Captain Jeff, APG crew, and APG community. This is Jim Howard with a comment on APG 271. But before I get to my comment, let me thank Captain Nick profusely for his series on D-Day. As a former electronic warfare officer, I really appreciated his detailed discussion of the electronic warfare activities conducted during the D-Day landings. It meant a lot to me to hear that. It's good history that I, I wish more people knew about. Now, on to my comment. There was a discussion in 271 about uh, user fees or how to pay for ATC privatization in the United States. I got the impression that some of the panelists thought that perhaps GA paid nothing for ATC, and, and that's not correct. General Aviation pays a fuel tax. I believe it's on the order of 20 cents a gallon right now of fuel. And that's a pretty fair system when you think about it, because the Piper J3 burning three gallons an hour flying out of a dirt strip on a guy's farm to fly around and chase his cows around. Uses almost nothing from the FAA. In fact, a lot of them use absolutely nothing. But let's just leave that there. On the other hand, a small business jet, use a personal use business jet or a large twin engine piston airplane, they use a lot of fuel and they pay a lot every hour they fly through the fuel tax. I wanted to address the incremental cost of general aviation to the United States. I suspect it's a lot smaller than what people might think. Consider Austin Bergstrom International Airport. 
Kilo Alpha Uniform Sierra that I fly out of. Our partnership pays a lot for hangar rent. It's very high, $550 a month, and it goes up 6% a year. Uh, We pay a lot for fuel because in addition to the regular government taxes, we also are charged a flowage fee by the airport itself. And it's not completely unjustified because it's a huge, giant airport and really, really well designed, designed, you know, in this century or in the last century, late last century. So we have a 12,500 foot runway and a 9,600 foot runway, which of course we don't need for our Pipers and Cessnas, but that uh, beautiful British Airways 787 that comes in every afternoon at five from London and taxis over to our terminal where everybody can enjoy it and admire it. And then taxis out at seven and lifts off and all the way to London from Austin. Well, you know, that's worth something just to see that wonderful airplane. I mean, I believe British Airways is considered the premier airline in, in Europe. Am, am I, I think I'm right about that. A couple of uh, things I've noticed, two things to add to the discussion. Delta Airlines strongly opposes ATC privatization for a lot of reasons, mainly cost. It's going to drive up their costs and they know it. Uh, Aviation Week, by the way, printed an article where they said this, their understanding that the Trump proposal, at some point anyway, exempted piston engine airplanes. But I take not much comfort from that as a piston engine guy, because all it would take is a stroke of the pen and the piston engine would be added to the fees. There's basically what I, is the way I can see it, three kinds of uh, privatization of ATC that's done in, in this planet. I, North Korea has none, so. They actually have one general aviation airplane that will give you an air tour in in Pongyang, but I suspect it's owned by the government. Uh, There are fuel taxes like we have here. There's a lot of advantages to a fuel tax. It's basically overhead free. It's all automated. You don't have to hire somebody with a green eye shade to go through a stack of receipts or fill out a bunch of forms or set up a new web server. We know how good the FAA is at that. You just, if, if you don't get enough money from the GA fuel tax, just add a couple of pennies to it. I don't think anybody would complain about that. There's the a la carte system they have in a lot of European countries. I guess they hire somebody with a clipboard or something to sit around at 11 o'clock at night to see if a, a warrior does a, a low approach on the ILS, or maybe there's a different price for the VOR approach, or maybe there's a different price if he touches the runway as opposed to not touching it. And that just seems like by the time you add the overhead of having to collect and collate all that information about every approach and landing and use of an instrument facility of any kind, you probably eat up 90% of, of what you gained compared to a fuel tax. Canada has a system that's not too horrible. It's a, a yearly fee system, and I believe they've actually been able to reduce the fees over the last few years. I wouldn't mind a, a Canadian-style system if we did away with our fuel tax and if I thought the U.S. government could pull off a system as efficient as what they have in Canada. And maybe some Canadian pilots would like to comment on that. In any case, I don't have any confidence that the government would do anything other than combine the worst aspects of a government ATC system and a private AT system. What with the system we have now is not broken. So why should we fix it? But then again, I was just a navigator. So, you know, consider. That and evaluating all my opinions. Uh, I really enjoy the uh, show, and uh, I hope we uh, go on for many years, even if ATC is privated. This is Jim in Texas. Thank you, folks. Greetings, APG friends. I'd like to comment on a recent conversation regarding air traffic control privatization, and in particular on the question of taxpayer funding. 
As it turns out, the vast majority, and by vast majority, I mean well over 80% for the last two fiscal years, of air traffic control-related funding does not come out of the general public taxpayer dollars. In fact, it comes from a fuel excise tax. In other words, we already have a the more you use it, the more you pay system. That money is collected through taxes on fuel. We all fly, we all pay fuel, whether it's directly or through our rentals. We're paying for the fuel, the fuel is taxed, the taxes pay for air traffic control and many other FAA-related activities and expenses, well over 80% for the last two fiscal years. So, the problem is not necessarily that the system isn't funded or isn't funded properly. The problem is bureaucracy. And replacing a government bureaucracy with one that favors commercial industry, such as the airlines and the airline-related unions, does not necessarily mean that it will be spent smarter than right now. So I don't want to get into too much of the argument over ATC privatization, good or bad, because that's an entirely separate conversation from where the money comes from. So to dispel a not quite the right answer for arguing about how unfair it is that the general public pays for air traffic control, but a tiny percentage of the public directly uses it. Obviously, the arguments made for everyone benefits by air traffic control, even when you simply purchase something online and it is shipped to you by air. That's a great argument. But simply in terms of who pays for it and how it's funded, those that fly fund it for everyone who benefits. Thanks. Keep up the great work as usual. Great seeing everyone as often as possible and have a great summer. Uh, great feedback from uh, both of you, Jim and, and Hillel. Um, what do you think, Steph? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, certainly this is a airline focused show for, for the most part. And this has become much more of a big topic in the general aviation world. I think um, there's a lot of fear and concern that if things are privatized, that's kind of, um, you know, take away some of the checks and balances on who controls the fees and the fee structure for um, private owners and operators of small aircraft. Um, you know, one of the great things here in the U.S. right now, and a reason why a lot of people come to our country from other places to fly and learn how to fly here and train here and build hours here is because in, it, flying is expensive, but in comparison, it is relatively cheap here for a vast number of reasons. You know, fuel costs are low here. It's cheap to relatively cheap to rent aircraft here. Cost of instruction is reasonable, but also there's not a whole lot of excess fees in terms of you don't have to pay every time you land at an airport. You don't have to pay to shoot an approach. Um, so associated fees are also very low. And I think the big concern is that if things were, if, if ATC was privatized, then there would be a lot more end user fees for a lot of these surface services. Um, and, you know, both Jim and Hillel brought up great points, um, especially Hillel's about where ATC is actually funded right now, because I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, it's, it's funded by the folks who are actually using it. And there's a lot of downstream benefit because 
like he mentioned, every time you ship a package, if it's shipped, you know, if it's getting on an airplane and coming to your destination, then you're indirectly using those services, even if you never buy an airplane ticket to fly somewhere. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of detail that goes into all of this. There's a lot going on with it. You know, do you want it to be government bureaucracy or private bureaucracy? It's, it could go good or bad either way there. But the main thing is right now, most people feel like this is something that actually works pretty well within the government and we don't see a big reason to actually change it. So um, there's a lot of push from the GA side of things, from people who use general aviation services, um, you know, push to call your members of Congress, your representatives, your senators, let them know your, you know, thoughts on all of this. Um, and it actually looks like, I think it was the 27th, the, um, let's see. It says, while legislation in the U.S. House of Representatives to turn the U.S. air traffic control system over to the airlines was passed by committee June 27th. Um, this is a, an article from the AOPA. They continued to voice their opposition to that legislation. So part of it's already gone through the U.S. House of Representatives as of two days ago. So if you have an opinion on this and you would like to contact your local representative, please, please do so. It's easy to do. Do you have a an opinion on this yes yeah. i actually do and it's probably not going to be very popular oh no no, no go ahead no we want to hear all the you know well you know sides. dana I, at airlinepilotguy.com yes <laughs> <laughs> send me your feedback um i am um i i how do i put this the way i want to put it okay um the real reason for privatization is that the government is very wasteful and quite frankly, the next gen and all the initiatives, uh, you know, for example, the reclassification of the arrival, you know, SIDS and STARS, um, that, you know, it was a, it was a big expense for the Atlanta airspace. And quite frankly, they don't work. So, um, the, the driver, I think, of privatization is probably because Donald Trump, and I'm not going to get into political, you know, arena as far as supporting what he does does not but you know let's face it uh, organizations that support themselves tend to be far more um organized efficient and, uh, efficient and effective so privatization on that level i think would be better towards moving the aviation world towards next gen and being more efficient and, and bringing in new, new technologies that would make the, the airspace system better operated. I mean, let's take, let's face it, you know, Nat Canada, Canada, you know, what, whatever they call them. I can't remember what they call themselves. It's never up in the airspace, but, uh, you know, they, they are very effective and very efficient in what they do. I mean, Europe's a whole different ball game because everybody wants to get their, their hands in the kitty. You know, Jim talks about it. Uh, you know, really it is, and Hillel also talks about it. It's a, it's a self-sustaining system as far as the system today. You've got the, you know, the, you know, the taxes that are paid by, by whoever buys fuel, you know, uh, passengers that get on airplanes. It, it's a self-sustaining system. The problem is, is that the allocation of the funds from the time that you buy the product until the time that you know you buy the gas and to where it goes who knows the efficiency of the government and the red tape that's involved is just ludicrous 
it has taken them so long to move nowhere. I mean, at a snail's pace. So, and I'm not criticizing the government. I mean, listen, I've had plenty of FAA jump seaters that come on and, you know, they're here to help. But quite honestly, I have, I've only had one FAA jump seater that wasn't really kind of cool. So I'm, I'm not criticizing the FAA and the jobs that they do because they, they really do a good job. The problem is that you've got two entities in the FAA. You've got the enforcement and then you get the people that are trying to, um, you know, run the organization and they're butting heads because their, 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 their function is to, to promote safety and operate the system. It's kind of hard to do both. So I don't necessarily support privatization because I absolutely agree with, you know, it, it's going to hurt GA. But in reality, honestly, I think it would actually help GA. You know, it, this country is founded on, you know, the freedoms in, 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 in democracy. And, you know, there might be some profiteers out there, but honestly, we're already paying for it. It's just a matter of taking the resources that we're putting out there and using them to make the system better. And I don't think the government's doing it. They're not getting there. I hear what you're saying with all that. And it's, it's funny because it's a little counterintuitive to how we think of, you know, the American spirit and American ingenuity. It's, we want, you know, private companies. We want less government in general and, you know, more. We, we just want the government to stay out of our affairs. Um, so it's a little strange to hear so many people going, well, this, this is one government run or at least government supported, government funded program that we actually like. Um, what I wanted to add to all of that though was my, my biggest concern with all of that is that if you drive up the cost for people to get their initial training, their initial ratings, their private pilot certificate, their commercial certificates, instrument ratings, multi engine, you know, in the private sector before they're moving up through the ranks to get into airline jobs, we're already getting to the point where you have, you know, a shortage of, of pilots coming through the ranks. But if you're you not that, driving up the cost. I fear that you will be, though. I, I think that's the, I, that's the I, big I, fear with 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 privatization. I agree that you there is the fear of that possibly mm-hmm. happening. Um, and and I you know, read the comment that the U.S. ATC Glenn said, and the U.S. AT system isn't broken. No, it isn't broken. I mean, for the most part, it's very effective until you try to come to Charlotte. You try to come to Charlotte on a clear day like today now fortunately with our delay we didn't get that much of a delay but every time you taxi out in atlanta it's how long is my delay to charlotte charlotte is the worst run airport in the entire country well i have to i have to say that mainly the reason for that is because you have two very large hub based airports within close geographic um, vicinity and so the flow of traffic trying to trying to flow or get somebody to get into the flow of traffic between these two big bases or uh, hubs is difficult. It's, f- it's hard to find a spot. And so what Dana was saying is, you know, potentially on the private side, you can re There are five all the- airports in the metro northeast area that have five hubs. I disagree with you because. But you're not flying from Newark to Kennedy or from, um, you know. Uh, uh, agreed. However. Anytime you taxi out anywhere, you always hear all these aircraft anywhere are getting delays into Charlotte. It's because they do not use their runways 
in their airspace effectively. And I, I don't know, and and I agree, they don't do things very efficiently here, uh, both um, in the air and on the ground as well. But I'm not so sure it has anything to do with whether it's a private ATC system or a government-run ATC system. Is it system. just a local? I think it's just Charlotte. It's Charlotte is terrible at it's Charlotte. managing it's, traffic. It's, it's, it's Charlotte. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, yeah. I was I was making the comment this morning. I mean, we're taxiing out of Miami. Miami has the exact same runway capability. They have eight right, eight left, runway nine, and runway one two. Mm-hmm. Turn the runways around. You can it's, do the math. It's similar, it. yeah. Okay, very similar. You get Lauderdale just up the road. You get Palm Beach just up the road. Lauderdale is a pretty big operation. Spirit, every, you know, other airlines that are in there that that are hubs, JetBlue, um, you know, Acme, um, you know, a lot of lot of operations out in and out of there. So, and, and that's only thirty eight, thirty nine miles up the road. But yet, Miami with the same capacity. I can't remember the last time I ever had a delay into a major hub for cargo and American with the same runway capacity. But every time you come into Charlotte, so I'm, and this is not, you know, an argument for or against privatization. This is just pointing out that there are opportunities to improve and privatization again could really benefit the, 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 the airlines and also I really believe it would benefit GA because we're already paying, you know, the argument is, is that, you know, it, the system's not broken. We're, we're not paying for it. It's not transparent because you don't think you're paying for it. But in fact, mm-hmm. we are paying for it. We I- really are. It's just, it's just, and, and, and my problem isn't whether we're paying for it or not. It's the appropriation of the money and the efficiency. I mean, you, you look at the military, they're paying $20 for a roll of toilet paper. Right. right. Or well, no one's saying that government for, isn't, uh, isn't uh, efficient uh, or, or is efficient. Um, I guess the concern is that there's just potential for less oversight, less regulation. Um, things can get carried away or out of hand for the folks who don't have the ability, the same ability to lobby for what they need in order to use the airspace in the same way that they were previously. Well, and one argument would be, remember, in this, the deregulation of the airline mm-hmm. industry? One could argue that, in fact, it could hurt, and and I agree with that. I mean, it it could hurt the industry, but initially, deregulation actually really helped the industry, and you know, it's now been consolidated. But what you're going to do is you can put put competitive bids out there. People they're going to be held to the, the fire. I mean, they I, I forget what the number is. I think it's twenty or thirty million dollars to redesign the airspace system into Atlanta. That doesn't work. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, you know I think there's there's a lot of ways you could argue this for either for or against privatization. Um, and I certainly do see some of the, you know, like I said, it's, it's, I'm very much on the side of less, you know, not to get into politics here, sorry, but less, less, government. less government, more private business, more private competition. I think that's always a good thing. Um, I just have concerns about how that changes things for the general aviation side in in this particular instance. So let me ask you so. a question. Is health care better under Medicare or under <laughs> or under you know guided insurance like United oh, Healthcare? I'm going or, to so much or, on that and I am not going okay. to because Jeff will 
just pull the plug on the show yeah. right then and well, there. Well, we're, we're already going <laughs> pretty see? long here. So we're going to, I'm just going to have to uh, say, well, we agree to disagree. There are a lot of good points made both for and against privatization. Uh, I think a lot of these issues aren't necessarily privatization issues. They're more uh, effective management of airspace. I think also, uh, my personal opinion, it seems that uh, a lot of what we're seeing in this next gen and stuff like that are are just kind of making these these uh, quote unquote improvements because we have the technology to do so. But it's not always, in my opinion, the right thing to do something just because you have the technology to do it. But if it's working okay without the technology or the advanced technology, then why, why change it? Why it's, I don't know. I'm just thinking back to when we used to fly out of Atlanta with one departure it was the Atlanta departure. And we had all these different two, gates South one and South two. one, North one, West one, West two. Yep. And they, you take off, they give you vectors to these fixes and then you're on your way. And that worked just fantastic. Um, then they came up, I don't know how many, is it over a hundred different uh, departure procedures and transitions that we have now? I bet, I bet if you added up the transitions as well, yeah. you'd probably yeah. be over a hundred. Yeah. And then the same thing with the, all these arrivals, the individual arrivals. And they're thinking, well, if we can just get everybody to use these arrivals, we, well, maybe we wouldn't need any air traffic controllers anymore and everything would just run itself. Well, guess what? It's not going to happen because you have to have flexibility when you're dealing with traffic coming into these major hubs, especially, you know, if Atlanta was in a place where you never had thunderstorms or bad weather, well, sure, you could get a system like that to run, I guess. But uh, you have to have the flexibility to be able to to uh, uh, give radar vectors and, and allow people to get around thunderstorms and everything else. And it just completely throws a wrench into all these, you know, these fuel-efficient RNAV procedures that we're using at these airports. And all it's done, in my opinion, has basically made Dana and I and every single airline pilot out there, are we're controllers and pilots. And guess what? If we screw something up, it's our fault. You know, it's 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 just it's an onerous thing, I believe. And I don't like it. And I don't believe that we're increasing or enhancing safety with it. And, uh, and certainly today, coming into Charlotte, we had uh – we almost had TKS RA because we're coming down. They gave us a send via down to, um, I think it's 6,000 feet on the, uh, I forget which arrival it was. Uh, the, uh, Jones, the Jones, the Jones arrival. <clears throat> and next thing you know, we have an, we get, we get a resolution advisory on a TCAT, no T, TA. And there's an aircraft climbing right, right below us. And it's coming up less than 1500 feet below us at a rapid rate. And guess who never said one word to us? The air traffic controller. Yeah, because it, the, it's their departure. The same thing happened to us. You know, yeah. the traffic alert it, because traffic alert. everybody's just, uh, you know, climbing at the speed of heat and, uh, we're coming in at 6,000 feet. The TCAS system isn't smart enough to know that they only have clearance to 5,000 and we have, you know, we're cleared to sit, whatever. So yeah, it's just, it's just kind but of, but I, I think it. really they think, I, I really think the bottom line in all this is that they're thinking that if we can somehow get these procedures in there and less and less reliance and flexibility and, and, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, participation by air traffic controllers. We're going to get to the point someday where we're not going to need air traffic controllers. And then eventually we're not going to need pilots and the whole thing is going to be on its own and nobody's going to touch a thing. Well, I'm sorry. But so who cares if it costs never... the GA pilots more because we won't need you either. You know, yeah. and, and the GA <laughs> pilots no to... are such a small 
percentage of everything that, you know, unfortunately for GA, it's like, well, sorry, but, uh, I will say one thing. I am still a GA pilot. I know. So I know you are. So anyway, you can see this is a very tough conversation we're having because there's so many good points made on various sides and everything else. But, uh, anyway, we need to move on because this show is, uh, is very long in the tooth. And I just wanted to quickly, um, again, thank you, Jim and Hillel. Thank you for bringing that whole subject up. (laughs) I'm sure this is not the last we're going to hear of it or talk about it on the show, but it's something we do need to talk about and, uh, hopefully we can figure it out. Um, Quickly, we had that uh, Washington, D.C. meetup, and uh, two of the folks there, Tony and his son Colin, were there, and they are um, expert photographers. And they took some photos of uh, us coming in for landing uh, right before the uh, the meetup that evening. But the next day, they got up really early. We had a very early departure out of uh, D.C.A. Took some amazing photographs. I've already tweeted several of them, but I'm going to put these in the show notes. I just wanted to thank Tony and Colin for the just beautiful i mean looking at this uh you know some people would say that the mad dog is not necessarily the prettiest airplane in the world but these photos some of them make this airplane look beautiful which <laughs> just I, I thought was impossible but uh a very nice job thank you very much tony and colin um and then also just quickly uh tanya one of our newest uh, apg community members got to meet her up at the new york city uh, meet up. Um, she writes to the APG crew. So great to meet Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Captain Jeff number two, Hillel, Mailman Dave, Radio Roger, and the rest of the fellow APG syndrome sufferers at the New York City meetup. It was a little crazy hearing about Captain Dana's experience of nearly missing the steam pipe explosion because I had a very similar experience 10 years ago in New York City. I left the office just 10 minutes before a huge steam pipe blast next to the building. My desk was right next to the window on the side where it happened. I was It was so violent, nearly all the windows were shattered and concrete chunks came through the windows on the eighth floor where I worked. I had just recently changed my hours to leave earlier. Otherwise, I would have definitely been there. Very freaky. Also, Captain Dana mentioned having to stay overnight in Memphis recently. I have a friend who is a co-owner and chef at Stanley Barbecue in Overton Square, which is less than 15 minutes from the airport. So just thought I'd throw that out there for anyone who is passing through. If you see Chef David, tell him Tanya in New York sent you. We'll do that, Tanya. All the best. Uh, and thank you, Tanya. Great, a, a, a great pleasure meeting you. I'm glad you're part of our community. And uh, with that... So many more things we wanted to discuss on the show, including somebody that wrote in and asked about Dana's story, uh, how he how he got here uh, to the uh, majors, and uh, we're going to tackle that on a future episode, maybe the next one. Sure. And uh, in the meantime, if you want to learn more about the show, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com, where you'll find information about the community, the crew, uh, the coffee fund, merchandise, um, all kinds of good stuff there thanks to uh, rosh maheen uh, who by the way we'll put a link in the show notes is still raising money for his uh, ride to cure cancer um which is occurring sometime in a week or two uh so uh meant to talk about that at the beginning of the show i forgot to sorry rosh but he does such a great job with our um website he's a webmaster for the website and um let's see uh social media 
Steph. Social media. You can find us on Twitter. Um, and I'm back on Twitter now. If you heard that at the very beginning, Twitter decided to kick me off today for oh, some reason. And Welcome uh, back. They, they've allowed We me missed back. you. Yeah, thank you. It was like three minutes worth of not being <laughs> on Twitter, which, you know, in this day and age is an eternity. That's a, yeah, it's forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so on Twitter, we are all together at APG Crew. You can go there to tweet at us and we will get back to you or someone will. Um, you can find all of our individual Twitter information posted at the top of that uh, page as well. You can head over to www.facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Um, there's information there about interesting stuff that we post or other people post for us, as well as meetups and other general information. And then take it away, Hillel, with Slack. Okay, Hillel. Hello, are you there? Is he in the bathroom? He's in the bathroom, actually. Okay. Uh, somebody go tell him it's time for him to do his thing. Hey, hello, come back out. APG listeners, if you want to be part of our Slack team, please send an email address on Twitter to me, Hillel, H-I-1-1-E-1. Over on Slack, we plan events, we plan meetups, we talk about the episodes, we gather feedback. If you want to be part of the team, send me a tweet. See you there. Thank you, Hillel. Uh, appreciate you uh, letting us know about that wonderful uh, perpetual chat room called Slack. You want to be a slacker? Contact Hillel. He knows all about it. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, and finally, um, until next time, wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Good night. Day. W-A-P-G Airline Pilot Guy How about now? Still staticky? Oh, it's much better. I moved it around. Okay. I play with it a little bit. Oh, that always helps. Ba-doom, bow. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Okay. Right. Nick, oh, that's the name of the Chinese place, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Bada-bing. All right. Um, I don't know. Nick may have left. Oh, wait. He's there. Uh, just um... <laughs> He's asleep and or dead. Somebody throw something at him. I see movement in his, his eyelids. <laughs> so he's not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. All right. We're going to start the show. Just give me a shot when you want me. <laughs> oh. We well, we okay. Try. I always want you, Nick. <laughs> you're, you're so wanted. <laughs> that that's a worrying thing. So want wanton. <laughs> <laughs>